0: And good morning, sports fans here from New York City. I'm Danielle McCartin. McCartin after midnight. We'll be talking all things New York sports till 6 a.m. on this early. This is a different night for me. Saturday morning or late Friday night. If you're still out and about in the city that never sleeps, coming to you live from the Boomer and Geo studio here in lower Manhattan. We're going to be together a lot till 6 I have Brian McKeon behind the glass tonight. He is ready, willing, able to take your phone calls. And you guys already know that number. 877-337-6666. Let's load them up with your best Yankees, Mets, Giants, Jets, Knicks, and whatever else, whatever is on your mind tonight. I've got a very special guest for you, John Schmelk. He's the WFAN's New York Knicks blogger and host of WFAN's Bankshot New York Knicks podcast. He covers the Giants for Giants.com. Uh, that should be within the 4 o'clock hour. We'll talk a little current event Knicks retrospective, especially about the manner in which David Fizdale was fired from the Knicks. Who's to blame for this dumpster fire? The the current roster as bottom dwellers in, in the NBA. The fate of the other executives in the organization. And we're going to talk about their plan for the future moving forward. And we're going to kick around some ideas for a permanent head coach replacement. I've got one. He's got one. Um, a real clear front runner. And with the Devils coach out, with David Fisdale out, the teams that remain with their coach nice and toasty on the hot seat in the hottest seat this damp, cold, and very rainy night here in New York City are, I think we can all agree, at least, it's the Jets and the Giants coaches. So, again, I took to Twitter. 90% of you guys think that Pat Shermer is going to be next. And I I said this last time, but it's worth repeating because the Yankees, and more surprisingly, the Mets, have won a game more recently than the New York Giants. The Yankees obviously had that playoff stretch, but the Mets and the Giants both last won a game September 29th. And it's a matter of hours now because the Mets won their last game of the season versus the Atlanta Braves two hours after the New York Giants beat the Washington Redskins. Something I'm giving up on you. So, listen. I've backed him, and that's Say Something by Big World and Christina Aguilera. And I've backed him, giving him the benefit of the doubt, but I think I am giving up on Pat Shermer. because I mean, I've backed him because the defense crumbled versus the second half versus the Cardinals. They lost by six, the Giants. Kennard, strip sack fumble, quarter one, the Lions game. Giants lost by five. The Giants, if they made those two field goals in Chicago— they would have won that game, too, because they lost by five. We would have been having a totally different conversation at this point in time because nobody seems to want want to win the NFC East. Is it going to be the Eagles? Is it going to be the Cowboys? No one really knows. And, and week after week, I get on here, and I say, listen, he can't play the game for the players. He can't snap the ball in the air on a field goal try. He can't kick the field goal himself. Uh, he He wasn't the one with only one hand on the ball in Detroit, which Daniel Jones was the one. You know, his receivers struggle to create more than one yard of separation. He isn't calling the defensive plays that have his team giving up the fourth most points in the NFL because we'd be having a different conversation if if, if he was doing all those things possibly. But I also think that the defensive coordinator, James Betcher hasn't given him any help. And I think Greg Williams, not this past week, which we can talk about, Greg Williams has bailed Adam Gase out time and time again. Um, and... Unfortunately for Pat Shermer, he doesn't have that luxury of, of a guy that's like a really good defensive coordinator. And James Betcher, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised on how he still has his job as of today. But the final minute, here's what did it for me, that final minute of the Monday night football game, to me was just, it was it. It was, it was inexcusable because it sealed the deal for Pat Shermer. unfortunately, because why on earth would you choose to kneel? with 43 seconds left, with three timeouts remaining, and with Eli Manning, not rookie Daniel Jones, out there at the helm. I know he's not Eli Manning of old. Let's not get that confused. But he's got 37 game-winning touchdown drives in his career. He's tied for ninth all-time with Matt Ryan. And with one the other night, he would have tied Johnny Unitas for eighth on the all-time list. I think Pat Shermer should have taken a page out of the Denver Broncos book, believe it or not. Because what the Denver Broncos did, they got a, with time expiring, it's almost the same exact situation. This is a couple of weeks ago. They got a defensive pass, they chucked it up there, got a defensive pass interference call. I mean, come on. Flags are rampant in this league. It set up a game-winning field goal, and the Broncos won. They, 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 it was a December 1st game. And it's more specifically, the Chargers cornerback, Casey Hayward's pass interference penalty resulted in a 37-yard gain for the Broncos. Just It was just one of those ones where you just winged it up and whatever happens, happens. If not, we'll just go into overtime sort of thing. And after that 37-yard gain on the very next play, Brandon McManus hits a 53-yard field goal. I just think that if you're Pat Shermer, you're sitting at a terrible record, you just don't roll over and play coy. You take a line out of the Herm Edwards playbook. You play to win the game. And Pat Shermer in that game did not do everything he could to win the game. And I hate to say that. I hate to say that. Because you never know what could have happened. And to just with three timeouts, take a knee, send it into overtime, lose the coin toss, and never let Eli Manning see the field, you, can't, you just can't do that. And, and we could talk about overtime rules in the NFL, which not just because the Giants lost, et cetera, et cetera. We could talk about that because I, I don't like them. And this other thing now, I mean, Shermer, I mean, he's, did he finally lose the locker room? Because this Janoris Jenkins thing is out of control. He was rightfully waived for using that language on Twitter. But come on, don't you realize that Janoris Jenkins was asking for a release from that team? This was just his way of doing it. He's a complainer on more than one occasion this season so far after games. And if, if for example, one of the last games, uh, Janoris Jenkins, if you have a problem with how your defensive coordinator uses you, which he did, then you go talk to your defensive coordinator, not the gaggle or gangle of media in front of your locker after a game. The Giants' only mistake in handling him was that they didn't trade him last year. They should have got something for him. And I would have to say that I, I, I'm in the remaining 10% Adam Gase. And this, you may recognize, is the Real Housewives of New Jersey theme, the instrumental version, because there is so much drama coming out of the Jets locker room that I feel like I turn on the Real Housewives of New Jersey every time I tune into that team. Despite the fact, which I'm still not over this yet, Adam Gay spent all week planning for a game against the worst team in football. He didn't eat Thanksgiving dinner with his family to come up with a game plan, which resulted in an, a loss to the 0-11 Bengals team. This offensive god, this quarterback guru, didn't even get his offense to sniff the red zone in that game, not even once. The Jets also, fast forward, got embarrassed on national TV Thursday night. Wasn't even a game. And some Jet fans are saying out loud, well, it wasn't so bad. I mean, it could have been worse. Could have been worse. I guess you have high expectations for your team, I guess. Then you got Le'Veon Bell. Petty Adam Gase didn't want him to begin with, and he made sure to show everyone this. That's got to be embarrassing for ownership in the GM, no? Subsequently, he has not geared game plans to, to fit his running style or gotten creative with him in the past game at all. Then there's this very specific leak about the, his bowling in, in, to the New York Post. And that was in Boonton, New Jersey, which is really far away. This whole idea by this genius Adam Gase to demoralize Le'Veon Bell is a terrible look. Because to maximize his value in a trade, which I don't agree with to begin with, wouldn't you want to make him the best player he can be? To showcase his talents to these potential suitors? And did you see that clip of Sam Darnold on the sideline arguing with Adam Gase? Luke Falk's reaction in his face tells it all. I feel like I was watching Teresa Giudice argue with Melissa Gorga and watching the reaction of Dolores Catania in the background. Maybe there goes the narrative that Sam Darnold loves Adam Gase. Because that argument was a little much to me. You don't do that to a young quarterback on the sideline of a primetime game, especially if he saw ghosts in that same spot last time. It's actually amazing what Sam Darnold has accomplished in spite of Adam Gase. Provided that, you know, the opposing defenses can sit back in coverage literally 75% of the time. So you can click vote on Pat Shermer all you want, but he hasn't made history for pitiful losses like Adam Gase has. And while your football and basketball teams may be inflicting nightmares in your sleep tonight, remember there are 59 days until pitchers and catchers report to sunny, warm Florida. this is my girl Taylor Swift, because I told you guys last week, Brian Cashman, as you know, got the man he wanted, then, and he will again this year, believe it, I told you here last week, I'm no Tiki Barber, but I had a source close to that situation that Andy Pettit told them that the meeting went well and both sides were really engaged. That his sister, who followed him to UCLA and to Pittsburgh for an internship, works at a law firm with five offices in our nearby metro area. He'd be paying less taxes to be a New York resident over a California resident because he was, you know, rumored to go to the Angels. He was awestruck when his family stayed at the New York Yankee Team Hotel during a 2001 World Series. He saw Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams, Paul Neal in the lobby, et cetera, et cetera. And in the end, the price and more importantly, the years were right. Nine years at $324 million. Maybe it was that 30 pound thing that just wowed Cole. The Yankees provided Garrett Cole one of their favorite toys. This is Joel Sherman. A 30-pound-ish contraption shaped like a home plate with a giant interlocking NY that, when open, reveals a copy of Yankee Stadium with an iPad in it. Whole thing. The Yankees landed the biggest fish on the free agent market and the best pitcher in all of Major League Baseball in Garrett Cole. Meanwhile... Now, this is Thrift Shop by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis because while the New York Yankees and Brian Cashman are big game hunting at the top of the free agent market, the New York Mets and Brody Van Wagenen are seemingly doing their shopping in a thrift shop. They added a platoon center fielder and Jake Marisnik last week and two major project starting pitchers, Rick Porcello Michael Waka. And they gave this discount on Uenis Cespedes after this contract settlement, which we could talk about. Um, Dellin Patances, where are you? Why hasn't Brody Van Wagenen made him a Met yet? I'll remind you tonight again this week. You hug your pillows tight, New York sports fans. Baseball season is coming. Let's hit the calls. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan. After Midnight, on the fan. Danielle McCartan here from Lower Manhattan. Listen, the drive-in was really, really treacherous on the way. I just, for those of you that are on the road, I just want you to be safe and go slow because... Uh, the West Side Highway had just uh, literally the middle lane functioning. There's floods on, on both sides. So uh, just be careful if you're driving tonight because it's it's uh, not easy out there. So we've got uh, the tale of, I guess, two running backs here in, in New York because you have Saquon Barkley who insists that he is not hurt. I mean, the doctors keep clearing him to play, which makes me think that he, in fact, is not hurt. So the only thing I can come away with at this point in time is the fact that he's not being used the right way. So obviously, you know me, I think by now, I kind of set, to, to set out to figure it out. So I looked at some things. and Saquon this year has more than half the yards he did last year. Saquon has 20 less yards rushing per game on average than he did last year. And what I thought was head-scratching, because I think everybody in their fantasy football drafts had Saquon Barkley going number one overall, I'm not mistaken, right? So he's only seen the end zone twice this year as as a rusher. That's, like, kind of crazy to me. And as a pass catcher, I mean, his numbers are pretty much even, like, more dramatically worse. So kind of what changed year to year? I kind of thought of two things. I mean, one, the quarterback obviously changed from year to year. And... I mean, Saquon even said it himself. He said, basically, in paraphrasing that him that that Eli Manning, when he gets up to the line of scrimmage, can make the right reads, can adjust the linemen and the coverages, and put guys in motion to to help you know block for him. Because as he said, like Eli Manning has seen it; he's been there, done that, and seen it. And what he said, he didn't want it to be a knock on Daniel Jones that he can't do it at that level yet. But Daniel Jones, guys, is a rookie. So obviously he's really not going to be able to do that. But so what I'm trying to say is that he's been working with Daniel Jones for most of the season so far. And maybe that's one of the reasons why his numbers are a little bit down. But then I started doing a little deeper dig, as you guys know, and I started looking up uh, the next gen stats. NFL next gen stats um, is the website put out by the NFL, I, I believe it seems to me that he's been used much differently last year, this year as compared to last year. And I think we can all agree, although it's not great, that the Giants this year have a better offensive line this year than last year. Not great. I'm not saying they're great. But they're better. So when I looked at the spaghetti charts of how he's, he was running through the offensive line last year to this year, and obviously he's a second-year player. So 2018, my interpretation of these spaghetti charts is that he's now running, he was running in 2018 through those holes in the offensive line. There were really no outliers there. I mean, they were opening holes for him as best as they could and he was, he was, he was accelerating through them. 2018 that was. Now 2019, I noticed, it stuck out to me right away that the spaghetti charts are going wide left, wide right. So it there's a lot of turn the corner type plays, turn it up field type plays. And I think that that's not the kind of runner that he is. So why don't you get back to the ground and pound and see what happens? But to me, this kind of falls on the coach. And... To, to game plan according to your player's strengths. I mean, Saquon Barkley is a premier player and he doesn't look like one. So who do you blame? The offensive coordinator or the, or Pack Shermer, who I believe is the play caller for the offense of the Giants. It provided uh, that oh, everybody that Saquon Barkley really isn't injured. Then you flip over and you got Le'Veon Bell, who also is one of the premier backs in the league. And, you wouldn't know it because petty Adam Gase didn't want him to begin with. And now he took that opportunity of Le'Veon Bell being out. He made sure to show everybody this. I mean, that's got to be embarrassing for an ownership in a GM that just went out and spent a, a Brinks truck worth of money to get this guy to come and play in New York. Or the fans that went out and bought number 26 jerseys Because Le'Veon Bell is that great of a player. And Adam Gase has not geared his game plans to fit Le'Veon Bell's running style. He's not gotten creative with him in the past game. Okay, because that's the argument you see. Oh, well, you know, the the Jets offensive line, it's not really shaped for a Le'Veon Bell type runner. You know, he's a patient guy. They have to open up the holes for him. Yeah, sure. But why don't you give him a little uh, screen pass or something out over the middle? We're By the way, I also looked into this. Most of the NFL completions are over the middle. So you got your young quarterback. Give him the check down. Option four, Le'Veon Bell right there. Hands shown right in the middle of the field. Why not? Then there was that very oddly specific leak to the New York Post about the bowling alley in Booton, New Jersey. Okay? I think that was really weird. I, I mean, Le'Veon Bell... In a way, you can't blame him. He's not being, even if he goes out bowling, even if he goes out partying the night before, he could probably get the job done because Adam Gase only gave him 10 carries against the worst run defense in the NFL in that Bengals game. He gave uh, Powell four, Montgomery one. 23.8% of those plays was a running play, which I was like, well, that's not a lot. And in fact, even in Adam Gase's pass-happy offense, It is way less than average for this team in that Bengals game. So it was clear to me at that point in time that the coach, Adam Gase, the genius, Adam Gase, was trying to prove a point to the owner. It was clear. And you couple that with the countless reports that the team was trying to move him at the deadline, planning to move him in the offseason, but why? Then, the next week, he's out with an illness. The Jets run the ball 28 hours times that game. Powell gets 19 carries. Montgomery gets nine. That was 34.5% of the plays. Up from the week before. 10%, 11% more than the week before. And then then you watch the game. The, the Thursday night game versus the Ravens. 21 bell rushes. Are we back to normal? What's going on here? Because as I said in the open, this is a, this is genius Adam Gase it's going to backfire on him because he's demoralizing Le'Veon Bell is a terrible look because in order to maximize his value in an off season trade, because that's apparently what he wants, which I don't agree with because I'd pick Bell over Gase any day. Wouldn't you want him to look like the best player he could possibly be to showcase his talents to potential suitors? And I looked at the, the Jets propensity to run the ball over the one, two, three, four, five, like the last six years, Jets were on the ball way less this year than any other time in their most recent history among, uh, you know, for different coaches. So like I said, it's, it's amazing what Sam Darnold has been able to accomplish in spite, in spite of Adam Gase. Because you could, as a defense, you could sit back in coverage 75% of the time. Because you know he's not going to run the ball. Adam Gase's spitefulness, my God. This should never be from a head coach. That, to me, is immaturity. CJ in Mount High, you're on the fan.
1: All right, Daniel. How are you doing? Good. How are
0: you doing this week?
1: All right. You know, with Barkley, you basically covered the point that I was going to make about Barkley. If you go back to Penn State, the one criticism you have of Barkley is he never seemed to get the tough yards inside the middle, inside the tackles. Everything was always like a big play. To the outside, the NFL is a different game. Even last year, I don't think he had great ability to get three, four yards that you might need to get a first down. That's my critique on Barkley. That's his big
0: weakness. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when you get to the NFL, the players are bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah. I mean, you got, you got to find a different way.
1: Yeah, if you look like Dallas with Ezekiel Elliott, that's, he's a master of that. going to the inside, getting five, six yards. Instead of two yards, yeah. that keeps the chains moving. And that's one thing that Barkley, you know, hasn't really done that well. But getting to the Jets, you're absolutely right about Le'Veon Bell. He's not being used. And for God's sakes, you know you're probably going to be trading him, showcasing him to right. show that he still want to bring him back right. in football. This is just sheer stupidity. I don't know what Gates is thinking or what he's drinking, but that's just basic incompetence.
0: Yeah, uh, I- tj right i mean right exactly it's exactly right and thanks for the call he's always the first one every week i mean exactly right so you got saquon barkley who was running between the linemen last year and not so much this year that's a big difference for a player like that he doesn't maybe he doesn't have the, the speed maybe let's just say to get around the edge it's clear so he's a strong back his quads are built like tree trunks And I'm saying that in the most complimentary way possible because if you've ever seen them in person, I mean, he's got muscles on top of muscles. He could could drag defenders like George Kittle dragged defenders, the Hulk himself. I think you just got to get back to that sort of a game plan. Utilize the play action. Eli Manning is is most effective in play action, but you have to establish the run in order to make a, a, a successful play action. And then you got... Adam Gase, the genius. Adam Gase, the genius that everybody was sold on. Peyton Manning said he was a genius, so the Jets hired him. He's demoralizing Le'Veon Bell. He's not giving him good looks. He's not—I mean, the question of, of, of Le'Veon Bell to begin with was, was he ready to play in the NFL? You know, after that year off with the whole contract thing, the Jets backed up the truck for him. And now, you've, as a GM, I, I would be furious with my coach if I gave millions of dollars to this player and my coach isn't even using him, just to prove a point, I think we can all agree that he was just trying to prove a point. Based on, I mean, the numbers themselves, I just presented them to you. So the question of Le'Veon Bell being able to be, you know, a, a back in the league, I think is still unanswered. Because when you look at it, what has he done this season? He's been, I mean, he's on my, my, I have a free league fantasy team, as I talk about every week, no money involved. I have him on my team. He's hes just been terrible. He was like my second pick or whatever. First, I think I pick him first overall. He's been absolutely terrible, just terrible. And I, get, I guess I, I get a little close look at it because I watch every week. I, I've i benched him the past couple weeks. I mean, Adam Gase, you're, you're, you're such a genius. You're such a moron. Get him out there. Show the league what he's worth so you can get a couple high draft picks in return or a couple nice players in return for him. But I guess if you're a New York sports fan, football is is pretty depressing. Matches the weather outside. You got the Yankees getting Garrett Cole. You got the Mets. I don't know what the Mets are doing. But the Yankees got Garrett Cole. So we can talk about that after the break. Let's hit the calls. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan. On the fan. Morning, everybody. Uh, The the number to hit the call is 877-337-6666. Got some tweets coming up uh, on my Twitter page, so if you want to follow that, too, it's at CoachMCCARTAN. And this week, the New York Yankees made Garrett Cole a very rich man. So let's do some math. We are 43 minutes into my show tonight, McCartan After Midnight. So... Garrett Cole is making $68.49 per minute for the next nine years. So times, you know, multiply that by 43 minutes. If I am making Garrett Cole money, I would have already made tonight in 43 minutes, $2,945.07. Sounds great to me. Tony and Woodbridge, thanks for hanging. You're on the fan.
2: Hi, Danielle. How are you?
0: Okay, how are you?
2: Yeah, you Daniel, know, first of all I'm gonna say I absolutely love your show. Well, thank you. And you you are absolutely beautiful.
0: Well, thank you. What do you got for about Carr Cole tonight?
2: You know, I absolutely love the fact that he's a Yankee. I just hope he's gonna be the Caracole we saw in Houston. And I wanna see I don't wanna see Aaron Boone pull him out in the fifth or sixth. And yeah. to go to the bullpen. Yeah. And number two, um Bell, the Jets need to keep him and get rid of fucking Adam
0: Gase. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, I told you, I'd rather have Le'Veon Bell over Adam Gase and I'd rather have Jamal Adams over Adam Gase. Any yeah. day.
2: Yeah. And Danielle, you do a fabulous job with your show.
0: Tony, thanks. I appreciate you tuning and in. You need and- to laugh. Thank you very much, Tony. I appreciate it. So... Garrett Cole, I I told you it was going to get done. I I told you here, I was here last, what, Sunday morning. I told you it was going to get done. We talked about this, everybody. You knew that the Yankees were bringing out all the stops in order to get Garrett Cole. They're pulling it all out. Cashman and Fishman and Boone and the new pitching coach, Matt Blake, and special advisor, Andy Pettit. They boarded that plane on a mission and they got it done. And what our last caller just said, I hope he's the Garrett Cole that he was in Houston, I think I think he will be because no one really talked about this that, you know, the Yankees had had a pitching coach change, you know. They fired Larry Rothschild. And I mean, the reasoning, I don't I don't really know the reasoning because they fired him on October 28th. He's 65 years old. They replaced him on on November 7th with a guy half his age in Matt Blake, uh, which was 11 days later. So I think the courtship of Garrett Cole goes back until then. Because as we've talked about in this program, Garrett Cole's career was absolutely resurrected and even amplified by analytics when he got to Houston. That's no secret. So I think that bringing in Matt Blake as their pitching coach, in my opinion, began that courtship, the full court press on that courtship for Garrett Cole to give him what he's used to, which is an analytics-based pitching coach. Rothschild I assume wasn't into that into uh, analytics as much as Blake is so the Yankees are saying hey Garrett Cole look uh, we have it too we, we got him this guy Matt Blake just for you and, and you might be sitting there saying well you know James Paxton he res- res- resurrected his career in New York you'll say in favor of uh, Larry Rothschild right well here's the, here's the story behind that Matt Blake is proficient in this this program, Rapsodo. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but Rapsodo, we talked about it on here. It's an analytics-driven pitching technology and philosophy, which I totally and completely buy into. It helps pitching coaches determine what pitches to throw and what counts, which pitches are the strongest as individuals, where their arm slots should be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the reports are that the Yankees exposed Rothschild to this and these tools this season, and he didn't take a liking to it. He, he wasn't interested in using it as much as maybe he should have. I don't know to what extent he did use it and did not. But I do know, according to this report, that, and it's an old report, that, you know, Mike fans, is this a new report or an old report? This is an older report that the team had to go around its pitching coach to help James Paxton throw more curveballs last year. And that, in turn, saved his season. So you see what I'm trying to say here? They dumped Larry Rothschild because he, he didn't embrace this this analytics pitching. Then they hired a guy that, that does, in fact, embrace it. And then they say, hey, Gary Cole, look who we have. And I think when Brian Cashman said we were we are fully prepared to do what's necessary, I think that's one of those things. Send out to Westchester, New York. Justin, you're on the fan.
3: Danielle, I told you we were going to call you from work. <laughs> I'm behind the stick right now.
0: Okay, what do you got? <laughs>
3: Uh, Well, you're selling me on Garrett Cole. Uh, I told you last week when I called, I I wasn't, uh, I wanted Bumgarner. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really a believer. And then, you know, when they gave him all this money, I'm thinking to myself how insane that is. I mean, good for him. We need a guy. We need a front-line starter. We need an ace. Hopefully he's that guy. I just feel like we spent all this money on a guy that did this. It's off one year. I feel like it's, you know, if he had a couple of more years like that, or or at least a Cy Young or something, I would well, feel a little better about it. But you know, if I had two guys in front of you, the Grom or Cole, and I told you you got to pay one guy, who's going to be, you know? Yeah,
0: I mean, I they're. Comparable. I don't want to compare him to the Grom. I'm You're just right. saying,
3: you know, it's it's a lot of money to give to give up to to a guy that now he's got to be not only the number one, he's got to win, you know, he's got to win in the regular season. He's got to go, you know, he's got to average over six innings. You know, we can't afford to pay him and then not have a bullpen behind him. Correct. If we're going to do this analytics stuff, you know, is he going to go six innings and then come out into the game when he's only had 85 pitches?
0: Well, that, yeah, Justin, you that's know? that's the analytics. I've had nine years of enough. that. You well, know, it's crazy. Great. I'm I'm getting behind the analytics of arm slots and all that stuff. I am not getting behind the analytics of you know take him out after six innings. I, right. That when he did that with Tanaka, when Adam uh, Adam Gase listen to me, Aaron Boone, Aaron <laughs> Boone did that to, to Tanaka in the, the playoff game. I was like, what are they doing? No, that yeah, I don't like. Frustrating
3: to watch that when they're going, they're cruising along. Yeah. You just want to see him finish it out.
0: Yep, or at least get to the ninth. Hand the ball to Chapman and and yeah. see what happens. But yeah, uh, well, you know you got to think. Justin, I just want to ask you one more thing. You know. If you're buying Garrett Cole, right? So you're paying all this money for him. Don't you want to see him win all that stuff in a Yankees uniform of course and, and not guess. wait?
3: You know? Of course. But, if, you know, it's it's. I'm not going to root against him. I mean, I'm rooting for him. We're all going to root for him. Right. It's, it's just hard to fathom that contract for nine years. And, you know, is it going to, you know, I, I mean, Shilling Johnson, right? I still want Bumgarner. We're going to spend this much money. Let's keep spending.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We're going to be paying a million dollars to park our cars here, I mean, Justin. We spent, no. listen,
3: we spent half a billion dollars in 2009 for Teixeira, CeCe, and Burnett, and we won a World Series. So was it worth it?
0: It was worth it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I know. we haven't won since then. <laughs> Justin, thanks for the call week to week. I thanks, appreciate Danielle. it. Um, and, but then you got a half a billion dollars between Garrett Cole and Giancarlo Stanton. Herein lies the problem. And the Yankees this year are getting a guy in Garrett Cole who, in 2019, he was first in the AL in strikeouts, first in the AL in lowest ERA, second in the AL in batting average against, and third in the AL in innings pitched. So yeah, let him pitch the ball. Let him go. And as far as the Cy Young thing, 2019, he was a Cy Young finalist, Garrett Cole was. He ended up in second place behind his teammate, Justin Verlander, and he missed... Winning it by twelve points, I and I was just curious. I, I looked back to the last. I was like, who was the last Yankee to win the AL Cy Young Award? Roger Clemens in two thousand and one. Then I was like, oh, so there's probably in the Yankee dynasty years. There's probably one in there too. Nope. Before and then before Roger Clemens in two thousand one, you had Ron Guidry and Sparky Lyle in back to back years in nineteen seventy eight and seventy seven respectively. I'm like, whoa, that's like a lot. So I just kept scrolling down the list. There were only two other Yankee pitchers to win that. So only one, two, three, five Yankee pitchers have ever won the AL Cy Young Award in the history of the New York Yankees. And I I thought, I mean, I was, that that was kind of crazy. So if Garrett Colf missed it by 12 measly points last year, maybe he'll be the first Yankee pitcher to win an AL Cy Young since 2001. I mean, you got to get excited, right? Tyler in Connecticut, you're on the fan.
1: Hey there, how are you doing tonight? Okay, how are you? Uh, doing pretty well. I just, I, I liked your points about Cole earlier, uh, especially when you brought up the analytics, mm-hmm. but I was wondering, you know, n- do you think that this $324 million might also be bought into maybe taking some of
4: the Astros' techniques and what they found analytically away from them?
0: That's a good point. Um... I didn't think of it that way. So it's kind of like using Garrett Cole as a vehicle to say, all right, well, what did they do with you? You know what I mean? yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Like a yeah. think tank
5: sort of thing, and maybe yeah. he brings it back to the rest of the Yankee staff.
0: Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a great point, Tyler. I didn't think of it like that.
5: You know, I just— Curious, wanted to hear
1: your thoughts. That's all I got for tonight. I enjoy listening to you, but thank you very much for taking the time.
0: No, thank you for calling in, Tyler. That's that. You know, I didn't think of it like that. So you see it, you suspect it in the NFL, right? When when a player gets dropped from a team, you know, you'll see it that the team that they're playing that next week, you know, wants to wants to sign him just to get the secrets of the of the, of the team that he just left. And so maybe that's that's this case where I didn't think of it like that, where Garrett Cole is getting paid nine years, three hundred twenty four million dollars. And he's gonna bring some of the secrets of the Houston Astros to the New York Yankees. I you know, I I, I told you guys a couple weeks ago when when Garrett Cole sort of kind of started to get into the analytics thing, he said he walked into a room and he then they had charts and everything up ready to go for him. And he was like, Whoa, and he hadn't bought into it at that point either. And then now, knowing when he knows and the picture that he's become because of it, you know, I didn't I didn't think of it like that. And now with the Yankees new pitching coach, maybe Garrett Cole and him could work not so much where the pitching coach is going to tell Garrett Cole what to do, but maybe it's more of a symbiotic relationship where Garrett Cole was like, you can tell him, hey, this is what we did, this is how we went about doing it. I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job, but this is what I've experienced. So maybe you could take that, you know, with to me and, and to the other pitchers on the staff. I mean, I I think that was I now rationalizing it, I think that was absolutely part of it. Because the Yankees not only got better with Garrett Cole, but who have they faced in the ALCS, champion, ALCS, American League Championship Series, two out of the last three years? The Astros. And now the Astros have lost out on their number two pitcher, who was a f- second finalist, second uh, the, just the runner-up for the AL Cy Young award-winning uh, this past year. So not only did the Yankees get infinitely better with the signing of Garrett Cole. The Astros, who have been their toughest competition, we'll say, got worse. And I know that Garrett Cole wasn't, I think, I don't know, but you could surmise that he wasn't going to go back to the Astros after that game. And He's wearing the the Scott Boris hat in his post-game interview and telling the people that he doesn't work for the the team anymore, the Astros anymore. So you knew he probably wasn't going to go back to the Astros right After that, that was, that was a statement, but for him to go to the Yankees, I think buries the Astros even more, and we'll see what that cheating scandal is going to bring as well, because I think there's going to be major ramifications for that, and as there should be, and I think those players that cheated, well, I'm already accusing them, but I've seen enough evidence myself to know that they, that they had an unfair advantage, um. I think that's worse than using the steroids, I'll be honest with you, in terms of Hall of Fame and, and et cetera. We could talk about that too. Um, and I, there's some concerns with Gary Cole. We can hit them. We'll talk about Pat Shermer. We'll got, and we got the Mets hitting the, the bargain shopping as well. Um, the Yankees going big game fishing and, and the Mets are hitting the thrift shop as as we heard in the open tonight on my show. So um, 877-337-6666 this is a great time to get aboard. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. Again, it is 3.05 here in New York City. I think it's still raining outside. I am in the Boomer and Geo studio, and there are no windows in here, so I don't know what the weather is, but I'm going to venture to assume that it is. And you got the Yankees have just signed Garrett Cole this week to a nine-year deal. we 324 big ones. We have just talked about all the reasons why this is a great signing for the New York Yankees. Meanwhile, the New York Mets are filling out their roster with uh, Mariznick, who's a platoon outfielder, and you got two pitchers on 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 prove it deals for the New York Mets, and Rick Porcello, or in Italian Porcello, and you got Michael Wacha on a, another prove it deal for the Mets, and I'm thinking maybe that one year deal on for each of these guys might be a precursor to something bigger, because maybe that maybe. Cohen is going to open his pocketbook a little bit earlier for the Mets than that five-year timeline. Maybe it's going to be after the end of the 2020 season, which is what I said last week. So these contracts kind of sort of prove that. And again, in addition to that, the Yankees signed the Brett Gardner um, to a deal. It doesn't kill me. We can talk about that. Um, but I know some of you guys are concerned and some of you guys on hold are concerned about the number of years that that Garrett Cole is getting from the Yankees and the Yankees have acquired him. He's got seven years of experience. And at that end of the ninth year, he's going to be a 16-year veteran pitcher by that point. So I was like, well, how does that compare? Like, what do lengthy career pitchers have? What are the, you know, who are they, first of all, and what have they done? And I think we could all agree that Garrett Cole is in the upper echelon of pitchers. And of the most notable longest tenured pitchers, you got Tommy John, who had 26 seasons, And his overall era, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers. Tommy John had a successful career for 26 seasons. Nolan Ryan had a very successful career as well, 27 seasons. And we can get into numbers if you want. And Tommy, I mean, Nolan Ryan's ERA was 319 for his career. Tommy John's was 334. I mean, that's great. So is Garrett Cole of this caliber? Yeah, I think so. I think he is. And seeing... Just how much medicine and just baseball knowledge has evolved and improved since those days. I'd have to think that Cole is just going to be just fine at the end of this contract. And baseball references is predicting 186 innings pitched and an ERA of 324. And they're predicting he's going to win 14 wins in New York Yankees this upcoming season. And I was like, how? I was curious to see how Garrett Cole pitches at Yankee Stadium. And I, I cannot believe that he's never pitched at Yankee Stadium. I checked two different websites. And that could be a big unknown as a con for this this Garrett Cole thing because, you know, the, the park's dimensions, et cetera, et cetera. And then I looked at how he surrenders his home runs in the spray charts. They are, you know, left, center, and right, you know, pretty evenly dispersed. But then I saw and I noticed that pretty much all but four of the triples that he surrendered, I think it was last year, just in isolation was last year, all all but four were to right field. We're talking triples. I don't know how that bodes well with that short porch, but I mean, maybe it's just a chink in the armor of the knight that comes in and saves the Yankees who have not won a World Series since 2009. I'm not too concerned about it. Uh, Let's go to Chris in the Bronx. Are you concerned about it?
6: Hi, how are you? Um, Listen, before I get to my
7: question i want to just say i don't think the nine years is that big of a deal yeah Uh, i mean i I think that you know i'll worry about that in seven years you know as long as we win a championship who cares you know but um my question is and i'm going to hang up and then i'm just going to listen to you sure Uh, if do you think that if the yankees would have won in either 2017 18 or 19 garrett cole would still be a yankee today
0: garrett cole would still be a yankee if they oh if they won in those years Um, I think, um, I think, I still think, yeah, I do. Because then, you know, then the narrative would have changed from, well, okay, we got the starting pitching now we need, you know, now we need a a hitter, you know, and, and that's out there too. Now, you know, there's still people that think that the Yankees did not make it the world series this year because of their hitting. I am solely, I mean, yes. I mean, you can't have Gary Sanchez striking out with the bases loaded like he did. I understand that, but you also can't overexpose your bullpen. So I put myself in the category of, Yankees needed a starting pitcher and starting pitching. And with Garrett Cole, they've got that. Now they can sure up some hitting, which they've done with Brett Gardner. Um, So to answer your question, are are the Yankees putting Garrett Cole and pinstrips if they won in those years? I still think so. Because if the Yankees, you know, what's, how, how do I say it? If, if they want, if they want it, they're going to go out and get it. And you saw it with him. And as Strasburg came off the board, I mean, that, at that point, you knew they were going all in, 1,000% in. And, I, and, and since he's the best pitcher, one of the best pitchers in the entire MLB who just decided to become available in free agency, I think the Yankees were in on him no matter what. Chris in Massachusetts, is this who I think it is? I
4: told you I'm a man of my word. I told you I'd call in so, to get for you to get a guy from Massachusetts that played for the Toronto Blue Jays to call into a New York radio show at three in the morning. You must be a good person,
0: Chris. Col- so, this, yeah. is, this is Chris Colabello who did play on the, the Blue Jays, and Chris, uh, you said you were going to call about the Patriots. Is, is that what we're going to talk about tonight?
4: uh i'll talk about whatever you want to talk about i was half asleep on my couch but i made you a promise so i I'd call in so i did
0: well thanks chris i appreciate it so um what do you think about the garrett cole signing having played in the in the al east
4: <laughs> well, he's a really good pitcher i mean uh i faced him a few times uh the yankees certainly uh opened up their wallet and uh good for him good human and obviously a really good pitcher so i think uh it's a good sign. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball right now, so um can't hurt, I don't think, you know.
0: Yeah, I, Chris you said he faced him and I didn't know that. So what what makes him so you know as effective as a pitcher?
4: Well, I faced him early on in his career, he was uh, you know, a high draft pick, obviously very highly touted coming out of college. Uh, he goes really hard and he commands three pitches really well. So um anytime you're putting that that uh, on the table you're talking about a guy who uh who can dominate pretty much at any level so um you know if he's throwing strikes and commanding all three pitches he's really uh he's a really really tough tough pitcher to face and obviously the season that he had just now he's only i think he's only getting better um you know he's up around 100 miles an hour he's throwing 100 mile an hour fastballs in the seventh inning which not many guys are doing so um you know, and he, he's just he's definitely got a different confidence about him. Uh, having gone to I heard you mention you know being in Houston in the analytics and stuff like that. um he's really coming into his own right now because I think he's he's getting to a point in his career where he's maturing and really starting to understand how to use this stuff the best he can
0: what how much stock do you put in having played the game of baseball at such a high level and still playing it in this analytics and pitching in terms of like not so well maybe in terms of yanking a pitcher after a certain amount of innings and also changing arm slots and and stuff like that
4: well i think information can only be good um i know a lot of guys that i played with or that are playing now that some of them just they they information overload can be bad but for the most part you know information is always a good thing um you can only use it to get better if you don't let it Stand in your way or cloud your vision, I guess, is the way to say it. Um, but it's, it, again, there's still a very human component to baseball. So we have to understand how to take the information, evaluate it, process it, and let it help us get better. Let it, let it help us train. Let it help us m- understand situations and moments and games that can come up on any given day. But then when push comes to shove, every moment is its own really. And it's subjective. So, um, you know, the baseball is a huge game of adjustments day in and day out. You know, at bat, got that bat, pitch to pitch hitting, inning, whatever you want to call it. So, um, it's just a big cat and mouse game. And I think, you know, the information is awesome, but at the same time, the battle is usually won by the guy that adjusts better to the circumstances that he's given. So, um, you know, in the case of a guy like Cole, um, he's obviously got the upper hand on the mound because of his stuff. So that's uh, a tough challenge for any hitter.
0: So, Chris, we're talking about Chris Colabello, who promised me at our Italian-American Baseball Foundation <laughs> dinner he was going to call in. And it was supposed to be last week, but he didn't. But we're, he's, we're, we got him now. Chris, I, I got to ask you, too, because I was shocked that Garrett Cole has never pitched at Yankee Stadium with the the magnitude of the contract, with the dimensions of the stadium, the the rampant fans in New York that, that we have here, ha- having played in the stadium yourself, what how can he one manage expectations and two, is there a- added pressure with him in, in this?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to be you have to be the right kind of personality to play in markets like Boston, New York, uh, Los Angeles, whatever you want to call it, the big markets in sports, right? Um. I don't think he's the kind of person that lacks confidence or swagger or whatever you want to call it, that, uh, really will embrace that type of challenge. Um, so I don't like, I wouldn't worry too, too much about that, uh, from a Yankees fan perspective, but, um, at the same time, you just, you really never know how you're going to react to it happens. So, um, I, I don't think it'll be too big of a problem. Um, you know the occasional homer flies out to right field at Yankee Stadium a little bit more than it does anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But you know, other than that, left center plays pretty true. Center field plays actually left center plays big. Center plays pretty true, and left field plays pretty normal too. So um, you know, I guess at the rate homers are being hit in the major leagues, you worry. But again, with a guy like Cole, it's it's just, it's hard enough to just even square a ball up. So um, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Obviously, it'll play itself out the way it does. But I certainly don't think you can go wrong with a guy like him, no matter what park he's pitching in.
0: And Chris, my final question to you is going to be this: We talked about um, you probably heard while on hold that you know he'll be 16 seasons in at the end of this nine-year contract. And there's Yankee fans, believe it or not, that are like, I can't believe they signed him for nine years. In your experience, will he be the same pitcher in year nine as he's going to be, hopefully, in year one for the Yankees?
4: Well, I mean. always tough to predict that far ahead, mm-hmm. but I think he certainly earned the right to get out on the free market and get the best deal possible for himself, right. his family, and whoever that may be. Um, when it comes to projecting long-term, it, it you know, it, nobody's got a crystal ball. Uh, obviously, you saw a, a power pitcher in Nolan Ryan who did it for a lot of years and, and maintained his stuff you know with Cole uh, injury history is very limited so I, I wouldn't worry about that it's not like he's a guy that went from 92 early in his career to pitching at 97 98 99 100 so i mean it it's it's in his dna it's in his makeup so is there potential for him to to maintain that for sure i mean i think it, again you just it, 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 it more than anything I, I just think it depends on the man um the hardest thing about being a major league player and having sustained success as a player is not necessarily the physical grind, in my opinion. Now, um, that's coming from a you know corner infielder, outfielder type guy, but uh, when you're talking about a premium position, a, a position like pitcher, where there's a lot of wear and tear, catcher, um, there's obviously you know some higher demand physically, but at the same time, uh, it's gonna it's gonna be more dependent I think on on him and and the way he uh, what motivates him I guess every day you know you find a big contract as a player and it can you know you can get complacent but I certainly don't think he's the kind of guy that will Um, but I don't know him well enough to, to know for sure so um, I'm going to mention Tom Brady right now because I have to. You know, Chris, you look at a guy like Tom Brady. We're
0: and, up against the break here, Chris. We got it.
4: Yeah, you look at Tom Brady, and he's done it for a long time, and I think he's just motivated by greatness. So, um, well, you know, I, hopefully, Cole is too.
0: Well, we'll end on that, Chris. And you're a man of your word, and I appreciate you. Thanks for calling yeah. in at 3:18 at in the morning. I appreciate my it. My
4: pleasure. Now I can actually go to bed. <laughs> yeah. oh, good Take night. Care. <laughs>
0: And should I have said Buonasera or Buonanotte to him? Because uh, Chris Colabello, I know through the Italian American Baseball Organization or Foundation. And um, he's a four-year career in the MLB and he's playing in all different kinds of leagues. Hopes to be with Team Italy um, starting next year for the Olympics or even the, the World Baseball Classic 2021. So I'm Daniel Carton on the fan. Let's load up the calls. More Mets, Yankees after the break. Yes, we are back here from the Boomer and Geo studio. I'm Dana McCartin on WFAN Radio. We just did a whole bunch of talk about the Yankees and Garrett Cole, the, the, the pros, the cons, and the signing. There's not many cons, by the way. Spoiler alert if you're just tuning in. And you got the other team in New York, the Mets. And while the NL East has been making major moves in in free agency, and we can even date it back to Joe Girardi signing with the Phillies, our fellow Italian-American baseball foundation dude in Joe Girardi, honoree. We talk about the players. I mean, the Phillies. And and Joe Girardi talked to me last week or two weeks ago at that dinner about, about Didi Gregorius. You could just see, you could just see that he wanted him. And he said, and I asked him when he was being linked, you know, what do you think about being linked to former Yankees, Batances Gregorius? He said, I know. Obviously, we're trying to improve our team. I have familiarity with them, and I think that's always good. I think they're both outstanding players. This is what he said to me at our Italian American Baseball Foundation dinner, and then he goes out and and his team signs Didi Gregorius. Then he gets Zach Wheeler. Meanwhile, the Braves have signed Will Smith and Cole Hamels. Nationals had re-upped Steven Strasburg. He's staying in D.C. And then the and the Mets here they come. They trade for Platoon outfielder Jake Mariznick, and then they got Rick Porcello in Italian on a one-year deal. Then you got Michael Waka on a one year deal. So then your rotation kind of sort of looks like this. You got two time Cy Young winner, Jacob DeGrom. Then you got Noah Syndergaard, number two, three Stroman, four Matts. Then what do you do? Five Waka, six Por- Porcello? Because Waka comes out and says that the Mets told him they, they had a spot for him to start. And he said, I'm here to be in that rotation and be out there every fifth day. That's my plan, and that's my mindset going into this offseason, preparing for that role. Porcello, obviously, is going to be a, a starter, you would think. So who goes? I'm okay with one project for the Mets rotation, but two in the same rotation? Merrick, New York. Mike, you're on the fan.
8: Danielle, it's a pleasure to listen to you as I do my midnight shift. Awesome. Uh, you're doing a great job. Very knowledgeable. It's a pleasure.
0: Thank you. What do you got?
8: Uh, question, are you a
0: Mets or a Yankee fan? Oh, this comes up every week. I, I, I Honestly, <laughs> I root for both of them. I really, really do. I really do. All right. So if that Subway Series, who are you going to root for then? Well, <laughs> someone asked me that, too. I would have to, in that way, I'd have to shade Yankees. I'd have to.
8: You know, I got that inkling, and I got to say, there was a caller earlier today. He was questioning who the best pitcher in New York was. Cole, you know. He's or DeGrom, yeah. The winner. Yeah. DeGrom. Gram. Two Cy Young Awards, you know? Quality starts. It's got to be DeGrom still. He's definitely got a leg up. Not by much. I'd say it's 1-1-A one one with those two guys.
0: Yeah, for sure. We're splitting hairs Absolutely. at that point. Yeah. Now,
8: with uh, my guy Cespedes, I'm still a big fan. You know, a lot of Mets fans are making him have to be the villain because mm. he's injury-prone, and I get it. Um, but I sort of wish they would have avoided the whole contract just to be done with him. I guess they feel he has something left to offer in his uh walk year. Now that we saved money, which I'm still unclear about how much we saved, if it's ten million off to twenty nine, or if it went down to ten. But uh, I think they really gotta go out and get uh Dylan Batances now or at least Joe Smith because the bullpen's been god awful. Yeah. I think we will last in the NL. We were supposed to address it in the beginning of the season and he does everything but he's talking about depth, you know, the, the used car salesman we have Yep. Who, by the way, when Steve Cohen comes, Danielle, I hope he's gone. I, I think he bring will back be back Omar Minaya. You yeah. know, because this guy, I don't think he knows what he's doing. We have a first-time manager again, mm-hmm. and we have a first-time GM. So he he's got to address the bullpen. I want to know if uh, any names you think we could get not off the scrap heap. If we could just, yeah, you know, revive that now that we have some money to spend until Cohen gets here. And the last one I got to you, Daniel... Mm -hmm. Next year, um, hopefully, he's going to inject some money into the organization. I really hope that Mookie Betts is on the radar. Thank you for the time.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it, Mike. And all good points from the Mets standpoint. Obviously, um, I guess we'll take a back-to-front Mookie Betts. When he comes available, I think with the money coming in from Cohen, I think the Mets would be foolish to not be in on him. And to make him, you know, the star of the team here in New York to join the young core and lead them to the promised land, I think that'd be foolish not to go in with him. Um so now the Mets are saving some money on the Cespedes contract. Um and it, it is very muddy. It's very unclear to me anyway, and I'm trying to look this up as well. My understanding was that it was going to just be a reduction of from twenty nine million dollars twenty nine point five million dollars is what he was going to be earning, and then um, just taking ten million off of that—that's my interpretation of it. There are a few different ones online. If you just look, there's—it's—it's it's unclear. We'll just put it at that for right this second. It's unclear. But with the money, the ten million dollars that the Mets are saving, some Mets fans are like, "Oh, are we ever even going to see this money? Or is this going to go back into our team or back into the the sixty million dollars of debt that the the Wilpons racked up in the past two years? Which, by the way, is is the most debt allowable by MLB. And I think that's why. The Mets were kind of sort of, kind of strong armed. I mean, the, the Wilpons were kind of strong armed in trying to, in, in having to sell this team, uh, at least the majority stake of it. Um, but the answer has got to be Dylan Patanzas. The guy has played in New York. He understands the pressure of New York. And it's, it's just, it's got to be him. He's the best available. And we're not talking scrap heap guys. Like, like he just said, best available is Dallin Patanzas. Go and get him, Brody Van Wagenen. I don't know what you're sitting on your hands and waiting for. Jeff in Fairview, you're on the fan.
1: Hello, there, How are you? If, after midnight, just checked out that, that song from Ever Clapton. I after forgot. Midnight.
0: You know, I'm going to write it down. I I forgot. All
1: right. <laughs> you like it. All right. About the starters that you just said, uh, that's what I'm calling for. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the heck they they got six now. I mean, they have debt now. Yeah. Are they going to trade one? I mean, Porcello,
0: Walker.
9: Yeah, these
1: guys are veterans. They. From good, you know, the Cardinals Walker, good organizations Porcello so coming from the Red Sox,
8: mm. these
1: guys are old. They know how to pitch. They're basically winners. I mean, what's uh, going on? I mean, what? What are they going to do?
0: I, I mean, you, you look at Porcello's ERA. I mean, it's it's like almost it's like five. And then you got Walker's ERA. It's like you. It's, it's I don't know. I don't know if the Mets are at this point are able to exchange an er a high ERA for like you know, they don't have enough run support. We talked about that every year with Jacob Degrom. I, I don't think they they can sustain it. That's
1: true. I mean, they they got them now. You know, are they going to trade one? Or are they going to trade and match? I mean, we need one lefty in the solid rotation, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yep. I, which I makes don't me know. think that Syndergaard is on the on the block, which it which 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 scares me.
1: Yeah. Anyway, well, I'm sure that... Maybe, yeah, but these guys, they're veterans. They could bounce back. They could turn around this year, come up, and have a 325 ERA. You sure. never know with them. They're up and down, those two.
6: Yeah. But
1: I know. Uh, on the Jets, I guess on the Jets, uh, they are still playing hard, and I know uh, Adam Gaze is a, he's a spiteful jerk. Are they playing hard? Of course, they are playing hard, but are, are they playing hard for Adam Gaze or the GM, Joe Douglas? That's you know that's what I have a feeling they're yeah.
0: playing hard for the GM, not Adam because he's not a leader, man. No, yeah, I I, I totally agree with you there, Jeff. And thanks for the call. Um, I, playing hard for for see, I don't I don't know because their first in line, you know, would be their coach to play for their coach, but obviously you're playing for the GM as well. You know, you're playing for the organization. I think though that that their GM Joe Douglas is the real deal. I would love. I am excited to see how he is going to get his first. You know, shot at the draft and and what he's going to do for the team in the draft, um, because now you know he he he's got to be riffed with with how Adam Gase has handled Le'Veon Bell. I mean, Le'Veon Bell is making a ton of money, and and Joe Douglas gave it to him, and so he's got to be he's got to be like, dude, what are you doing? I mean, that's what I would say, especially because it, it sort of kind of makes him. I don't know, like I don't know, like non-valuable if they're gonna trade him. And he signed a four year deal with fifty two million dollars. I don't think he's on the Jets next year. He he's been a good soldier ever since. And then all of a sudden, I likened it to to Mean Girls last week. He cracked. He was Gretchen Wieners and he cracked Le'Veon Bell. Now he's going out bowling before game and he, when he's supposed to be sick and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that Adam Gase has finally lost that locker room for, for real because he was one of the, the good soldiers, quote unquote. And then, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the Jets, they, they're the more games that they win. I hate to say it, but the more games that they win, they're, they're running themselves out of, of a, a good draft pick. And I'm looking now if, if, the the draft or the draft was today. Let's see, today's seven Yeah, it would be the Cincinnati Bengals at one, the Giants at two, and then the Jets have played themselves into the ninth overall pick. When like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, they were like number three. At nine, what do you do at nine? Because there's there's you're not getting like the Bengals need a quarterback. They're probably taking Burrow. Then you got the Giants who are probably taking the edge rusher. And then then what happens? Do you take an offensive lineman at nine? Do you take a, a stud wide receiver at nine? I don't know. I don't know what you do at that point. I would think you take an offensive lineman at nine. But is there going to be one available? Because you got one, two, three, four, five, six teams right now ahead of you. Are they taking offensive linemen? I mean, the Redskins, the Dolphins. I mean, maybe they are. I I, I don't know. At this point, I don't know. But I'm curious. I, I See, that's the thing. I, I trust in Joe Douglas to make the right decision. I think Mets fans do not trust in Brony Van Wagenen to make the right decisions for their team. And I think that's where the breakdown occurs. So we will talk more, obviously, on the other side of the break, 877-337-6666. I'd like to hit more Mets and Yankees. Let's talk Brett Gardner, maybe. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. everybody from the Boomer and Geo Studios, I'm Daniel McCartin. We are talking some very in-depth stuff here tonight, which I absolutely love. Um, we've shied away from football because I think uh, at this point our two teams, the Jets and the Giants, are not very good. And I think a lot of people are very focused on the spring and the Yankees and the Mets. Because the Yankees, obviously, with the signing of Garrett Cole, have, if they're not the odds-on favorite to win the World Series this year, I- I'd be shocked. I haven't checked, but I would be shocked. Um, and then you got the Mets, who um, I thought last year were on an upward trajectory. And, and now I'm like sort of like if you're looking at like a line graph, I'm thinking they like either sort of plateaued or even have gone. I would say plateaued for right now because we don't know their number. The, one of their big needs was a bullpen. And um, until they address that or don't address it, I'm going to reserve judgment on up or down. For right now, I'm just going to say plateau flat line for right now and maybe that's a little hidden meaning in that flat line meaning like you know you know the the Mets might not be too alive this year. We'll just put it that way nicely. Um uh but we're going to see. I think Mets fans are very uh, untrustworthy of Brody Van Wagenen. I thought he did an okay job knowing that he was uh operating under a budget last year, very strict budget. Um but this year, I don't know. I think he he why I don't know why you're getting to prove it guys in in a rotation when your biggest need is your bullpen. I don't know. So obviously the the Mets have their brand new first-year manager in Carlos Beltran. Beltran is embroiled in that cheating scandal. Um, If he gets out of it, um, first-year managers, as like Aaron Boone, had success in New York. So he might have the same success. However... You got Aaron Boone, and you drop him into the Yankees, and that's a ready-made team. I mean, Joe Girardi brought them to within one game of the World Series. I mean, that anybody was going to win 100 games back-to-back years with that team. I could probably have done it. So when you look at the Mets, they're a little bit different. It's really going to be how can um, Carlos Beltran really pilot that ship, pilot, pilot that plane, I guess you can call it, without much turbulence from the Mets. Um, and that's going to really be continued upon this this cheating scandal and and what the outcome is of that. Uh, Joe and Ramsey, you're on the fan.
9: Uh, thank you for taking my call. Of it's, course,
0: Joe. Yeah.
9: It's great speaking to you. Uh, yeah, you hit a home run with Cole. You the, did your homework on it. You yeah. Did, uh, your research. Uh, you were great with what you came up with. Where you know other people. We're wondering, well, the Dodgers are in there and uh, the Angels, so it's not going to be easy for the Yankees, but you certainly, like I said, excuse me, did your homework.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. You know me by now, I think, Joe. Uh,
9: The thing that concerns me about the Yankees is in 2021, when, uh, if I'm right, uh, Tanaka and... uh, Paxton could be free agents.
0: Yes, that is correct.
9: And uh, I don't know if the Yankees are going to be able to hold on to both of them.
0: Well, the concern for me is, sure, yes, Tanaka and Paxton, but Cole makes it a little bit better. But when you got to pay guys like Gleyber Torres when they're out of arbitration and Aaron Judge, I think that's what scares you as a Yankee fan. And how could you possibly juggle all that Cole and Giancarlo Stanton's contract? I mean, that would that would be what would be scaring me more, I think, if I was a Yankee fan than than anything.
9: Okay, the other thing, uh, I hate to see Austin Romain. Romain, yeah. Yeah, Romain, uh that the Yankees couldn't give him like $4 million because I think he's valuable on that team because of the fact that Sanchez gets hurt so much. And he really uh, contributed a lot to the Yankees last year.
3: Yeah.
0: And and, and Joe, and thanks for the call. Yeah. And, and obviously Romine is off the table. He is with the Detroit Tigers now. And I had two options for the Yankees and the Mets for, see, the problem is that, I mean, people, Romine is a defensive catcher. He, he wasn't put in the lineup to hit home runs, obviously, and whatever, but excuse me, he was a defensive catcher. Now, Two options for defensive catchers on the cheap. If it wasn't going to be Roman for the Yankees, I had Drew Butera. I thought he was a great option, but he signed a minor league deal with the Rockies. And he told me at our dinner, the IA, the Italian American Baseball Foundation dinner that they were a team that was in contact with him. And here we go, a couple of days later, he signs with them. So of the remaining options, I think that's a good defensive catcher on the cheap. I mean, I'm talking even to the Mets right now. <laughs> Brody Van Wagon I hope you're listening. I think a good option still is Jonathan Lucroy. I mean, he's he, his last contract was $555,000. The last I checked on the way in, he had not signed with anybody. And I had wished the Mets got him the first time around. You heard me say it on here. I mean, he's he's not he's a 2 a career 274 hitter, but he has postseason experience. He's played 56 games at first base as well. Almost 1100 behind the plate. And his fielding percentage behind the plate is nine. 9 three that's almost perfect and he averages five pass balls per season so if the Yankees or the Mets are, are in the market for a good backup defensive catcher that can maybe afford you some versatility at first base as well which I think maybe both teams are looking for at this point I think the loss of Romine is is hurt it hurts for the Yankees but I think Luke Roy is also a great option Carlo and Kings Park you're on the fan
6: well, Daniel, how are you? Good. How are you, Carlo? Good good, Daniel. Definitely talk about some Yanks and a pinch about the Jets if I could. Yeah, sure. And as far as the Jets, as far as the Yanks go, um to say I'm giddy over Garrett Cole would be an understatement. <laughs> he he makes that team so much better. So
0: much better. No doubt.
6: This team right now constituted, they definitely can win the World Series. It's not being conceded. They definitely can win the World Series. Um Barring major major injuries. I can't see anyone beating them. I can't. I just can't.
0: It's it comes down to that timely hitting factor too. I think Absolutely. DD was that guy. That DD was that guy that you can count on to spray the ball over the all over the field. Now that is a huge offensive hole for the Yankees to have to try and fill with these guys that are, you know, launch angle, you know, heavy and all and all that. And so I think that they need to I don't know, they need to figure that out. They need to get another bat in there or, or, or adjust the lineup so that it's not so many in a row of those kind of big, big stick kind of guys, if you know what I mean.
6: You're too right-handed, Danielle. Yeah. I, I, I fight with everybody on the fan about this, and they all tell me I'm crazy, but I'm not.
0: No, because you need I a balance.
6: They, thank you. <laughs> what a smart young lady you are. God bless. You. Let me tell you right now, you know. you know your baseball. You know your stuff. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you right now, you know that the Yankees definitely need balance. Because if you have balance, it would be really, really tough to get this team to get this team out. But as you know, in the last, in the last couple of post-seasons, the, team, the thing that has hurt the Yankees the most is the timely hitting. And that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. And they're too right-handed. I hate to be so redundant, but they yeah. are.
0: Well, the, and the thing is, and Carlo, thanks for the call. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, it's not only are they too right-handed, the Yankees, it's, it's almost like you're playing in Yankee Stadium. And you need a left-handed batter. You need that because of the short porch in right field, and as a pull hitter, you know what I'm saying. So I think that all. I mean, Brett Gardner has re-signed with the Yankees, twelve and a half million dollars, and there's that option for the second year worth twenty million. But Brett Gardner is is one of those guys who who can get it done. I mean, he. All what, what, you know, right. So what I love about Brett Gardner is this: he sees a ton of pitches okay and that's first of all not only that he first of all let's go back brett Gardner. why i bring him up is that he's that lefty bat and that is important to have re-signed him he, it doesn't kill me the 12, 12 and a half million dollars like i'm buying him but it doesn't kill me okay because if the, the yankees choose to dump him after this upcoming season it's only going to cost them two and a half million in terms of a buyout so i think that's okay but Brett Gardner is the lefty bat that the Yankees would need and that they desperately need in Yankee Stadium with that short porch. Brett Gardner is a good guy in the lineup too because he sees a ton of pitches. In fact, I, I, I looked this up because I was like, I wonder where he ranks in, in all of MLB. So Brett Gardner saw 4.33 pitches per plate appearance. That was good for fourth highest average in the entire Major League Baseball. So if you need a guy that's going to get in there, foul some balls off, have have a really tough at bat, Brett Garner's your guy. And that, as as if you're a pitcher, you don't like guys like that. You don't like guys that are going to rack up your pitch counts. You don't want it. So for that case, you know, there's there's a lot of pros. I did like pros and cons as I always do. There's a lot of pros for Brett Gardner. And another one being that these Yankees have. You heard him. You heard everybody talking about it. The Yankees have expectations to win the World Series this year. And he is the only guy left, including the manager, from the 2009 team that went to and won the World Series, which was the last one for the New York Yankees. That is invaluable experience there. Because you talk about how you know, the Patriots always go to the Super Bowl every single year, it seems. He... Bill Belichick, I've talked to the McCordys about this, particularly Devin because he's been around it more than Jason has, but he 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 was like, nah, Coach Bill, he's got it. I don't know if he called him Coach Bill, but Bill Belichick, he's got it down to a science. I mean, the, the extended halftime show, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, we go in there and we know exactly what to do. He is steering the ship, and, and now as a result, we all have been able to steer that ship as well. We know how to do it. So I think having Brett Gardner on that roster this year if in fact they do make it to the World Series, is going to pay dividends more than the $12 million, $12.5 million they're paying him for for the year of his service. Just in terms of ha- what to expect when you play in a World Series. you know how. how I, just, I don't know what goes into playing in a World Series, but Brett Garner does, and he will be able to impart that on the young guys of this roster. I mean, the cons that I had for him, he he's going to be 37 this August, and that... That's old for a baseball player, especially an outfielder, because they got to do a lot of running out there in the outfield. And he's not going to be a DH, obviously, because the Yankees have plenty of guys that could step in and fill that role. And baseball reference is projecting him to have, what, a two hundred forty four batting average, which is under career average. They're projecting, let's say, well, 2019. Oh, 2019, too, Brett Gardner had, had two, 28 home runs, which was the most he's ever had. He's, they're projecting he's not going to have that much of a, a of a jump this year. Only nineteen home runs this year. But with an on base percentage, he's a career three forty two on base percentage. It's all that's also going to go down. So there, baseball references pre- is is predicting a downturn for Brett Gardner's productivity this year. Um, but that's expected, right? I mean, he's thirty seven years old this August, and I think that. Is expected, And I just think that the intangibles that Brett Garner can bring to this team kind of sort of outweigh that. And, you know, I'm I'm on Brett Garner all the time for, you know, he's the base dealer and he doesn't really steal many bases, you know. So for that sense, I, I don't like the signing, but for every other reason he checks every box from the Yankees. Left-handed hitter, sees a ton of pitches, fourth most in the league last year. And if they're going planning, to be, be planning to book their tickets to, to the World Series, the Yankees... They're going to need him to lead them um, to, to, to the promised land, I guess. And one more trip, I guess, for him down the Canyon heroes, more uh, uh, of your calls after the break. Obviously we've got yet Mets, Yankees, and it's, it's almost football Sunday. So giants jets as well. I really wanted to talk about how the, um, the the jets lined up for autographs of Lamar Jackson. That, that kind of bugged me. I saw that, uh, when I got here before. So I'm Daniel McCartan on the fan and, and, uh, Get on the phone, 877-337-6666. And here we are at 4.06 in the morning on WFAN Radio in New York City. Rainy, rainy, rainy New York City. So, again, if you're driving right now, I said it before, be very careful. It was very, very slow goings on the way in here tonight. So, um, just be careful. That's all I'm saying. So, I want to talk about, we've been talking a lot of baseball tonight, which I, I love. Don't forget, it is it is Football Sunday coming up, so we'll talk some Jets and Giants. I also have um, a very special guest for you guys coming up. It's going to be at 420. John Schmelk, who's WFAN's New York Knicks blogger and host of WFAN's Bankshot podcast, as you've heard on, on the drops here. And he covers the Giants Giants Giants.com. So that's coming up at 420. So if you want to get your phone calls in before that, it's 877-337-6666. So the Yankees are making some big money moves, as you know. Garrett Cole, Brett Gardner, we've talked about pros and cons of both of them so far tonight. The Mets are uh, making their own money moves. You go with like Cardi B, make some money moves. But the Mets, in a different sense, the Mets are making, you know, tight, tight deals. They got Rick Porcello on a one-year deal for $10 million. Goods and bads, I mean... He was really bad in, in, in 2019, but he's got good control, made at least 32 starts in a row. I mean, yeah, 32 starts, four seasons in a row, my bad. And his spin rate, strikeout-to-walk ratio, pretty good, despite the fact that he has a really inflated ERA. I like the Waka deal because it's $3 million guaranteed from the Mets, and then there's another $7 million on performance-based incentives, which I like those kind of deals if I'm ownership. Not as a player, I don't like that. But you know, Walker spent his seven-year career with the Cardinals. I, the problem is, and he's in, he was injured on, on July 19th this year with a right shoulder strain, and then he was injured in 2018 because a strained muscle on the left side. I mean, he's injured often, but he was the MVP of the 2013 NLCS, and he was that was his rookie year. So I don't know. I just think they have a, a crowded. You know, we always talk about the running backs room, et cetera. I think they just have a very crowded starting pitching room over there at Citi Field. One of the main concerns about the Mets that I have for the Mets for this season doesn't have to do with their roster. It has to do with their, their manager. And before we get into this, I just want to give a quick shout-out to the the Candlelight Inn in Scarsdale, New York. They have been tweeting and calling, actually, too, tonight, and they just tweeted a nice picture of all of them, of the staff at the bar and they had a nice sign that says, thanks, Danielle. So shout out to the candlelight and they tune in. They actually tune in every single week and they tweet me every week. So candlelight in Scarsdale, New York, you guys are on the check-in. Um, but my, my, one of my main concerns for the Mets is it's going to be the fate of their manager. Are the Mets going to start a season with a suspended manager? Let's go to Andy and Tom's river. You've been hanging on for a long time. Thanks for hanging.
10: How you doing, Danielle? Okay. How are you? First of all, you're very knowledgeable. Uh, I'm with you on the stealing of the signs. It's worse than doing steroids because doing steroids is for more for personal gain. Where the stealing of the signs is more like a team aspect, yep. and where the one goal is to try to cheat to win. Yep. But let let, let me ask you this: Are you in favor of stealing signs? You know, the old-fashioned way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I that's part of the game. It's like gamesmanship versus cheating, and I think doing it the old-fashioned way, quote unquote, is gamesmanship. Right. It, it's not cheating okay, with I'm a gonna... telescopic lens, you know, and cameras. I'm the same way. So are we hypocrites then? Because a lot of people
10: are calling me a hypocrite because I'm saying if you're using technology, you're cheating. But if you're doing it the old-fashioned way, I mean, it's just part of the game.
0: I think if if you as a manager or as a player are sitting in the dugout and you are – Looking for tendencies of pitchers do you know do they do they tap their glove before they throw a curveball that is not cheating that's you using your brains to figure out a pattern right. of behavior but if you're i agree if you're if you have a camera positioned in center field and you're looking right into what the catcher's signs are throwing down and then you're banging a garbage can accordingly, that to me is cheating and
10: did you hear they were using maybe electronic bandages
0: yep i I said it on the show here, yeah. So, uh, yeah. so, if you really think about that,
10: if they had one on each foot and, and like, on each shoulder, they could even put locations. Yes. As, you know, so it's, like, really, really going way overboard. And the last thing on Garrett Cole, what, what, what do you think about him, you know, coming over? You know, because there was even talk that they were using pine tar. So, you know, he, he was actually cheating, too. So. I mean, you know, he, he's part hes part of that team and he knew what was going on as well.
0: Yeah, and I know that's a concern. And Andy, thanks for hanging on so long. I know that's a concern. Um, but for the most part, and what we know is that for the most part, they used it offensively to cheat. They were cheating offensively. You are in the batter's box. You're hearing two bangs. You know a curveball's coming. You know? Offensively, I think it was a, a huge advantage. I'm not so sure what they were doing in the pitcher's room, honestly, but... No, I think that if you're using technology, you are cheating. However, though, if you could pick up on some tendencies or or even as a pitcher, you're looking as a runner on first and you're you're looking over your shoulder and you see him do something, the runner, that you know he's going to steal, that's not cheating. That's gamesmanship. And I think that's the differentiating factor, the technology involvement in this whole entire thing. That's what I think. In my opinion, anyway, let's head out to Rosedale. Scott uh, Axel, you're on the fan.
11: It's Christmas time in the city. Yeah, it is. Let me tell you something, Danielle. Two weeks ago, you you you, you hooked me right in. You were talking about lasagna and stuff. <laughs> it's the middle of the night, I'm hungry. There's nothing in the house. I mean, you got me hooked after that. I, I got it. I have to tell you that.
0: Maybe my mom should start selling it. Maybe maybe we, we should go into business with this.
11: Right, and you know what? <laughs> You could probably do it right out of your house, too. With, and they pick it up and they deliver with Amazon or something. Right. You know?
0: I've got a business model here. All right. What's Thanks. up, Axel?
11: Okay. Um, first of all, the, the signing of Cole, people have to realize, too, great pitches. And very good pitches. What makes them great is they're usually around the plate. They have very good control. So you, they do give up home runs. It's not unusual for great pitches to get usually. But the thing is, there's nobody on base. So there's very few base runners. And that's why you'll see them give up home runs. All pitches do. But these guys are always around the plate. And I, I think that's what the Yankees needed. They needed a guy who could come out there, throw his glove on the mound, and the game is over. He's looking at a very good bullpen. You might not have to go deep into the games unless if they want him to or something, or if it has one of those days the bullpen needs a rest or something. This is the guy you want. Doesn't guarantee anything. I mean, to me, if you ask me, I'm going to tell you the Yankees are going to clinch in June because I'm a Yankee fan. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, a couple of things that, about the Yanks I like to say. You know, the thing with the Stanton trade a couple of years ago, MVP, 1,000 home runs. Like
0: I didn't like it. They didn't need him.
11: Right. I agree with you on that. I, I felt the same way, but I also felt when, when it came down, they ain't going to get Harper now because there's a lot of money put in toward this guy, and the Yankees were dealing with budgetary things back then. Right. Yeah, the thing with the you know the, the luxury tax, whatever. But the thing is with that is he was the the left-handed bat the Yankees could have used, a violent bat, and he's the guy they could have really used. Now, the other thing I'd w- I love to see the Yankees do and I know when I hang up after I say this, there's going to be guys calling in. Everyone's calling. Hey, what are you talking about? Listen, I want Mad Bum. Mad Bum, folks, is only 30 years old. Yeah. He's not done. But here's the other one now. Here's the wild card now. He hasn't pitched in two three years. I would sign him to a minor league contract. I would tell him, look, work out. We'll put you down in Florida, Tampa, working out. Get ready. Get ready by late August or something. I want the Mad Bum and the freak on the Yankees. That's who I want in the Yankees. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, I'm looking at his market value now. He's valued at 21.1 million dollars a year. I don't know if you're giving uh, a minor league contract to a guy like that for that money. I think, you know, I don't know. Well,
11: the freak. I'm talking about Tim Lincecum. I'm just making a joke, but I would. Oh, oh, oh I thought you
0: called him Madison Bumgarner freak. I'm no, sorry. No, man, I'm sorry. Man
11: Bum is right, but I'm the sorry. other guy, the freak, was Lincecum. They, yeah, I'm sorry. Cy Young's World Series. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, you know, he cost him nothing. You know, let's see what happens. Yeah, prove the a deal. Yeah, and the thing with Gardner now, listen, you can have this guy around. There's nothing wrong with having him around. I mean, he can teach the rookies how to smash up the dugout with the bat. I think that <laughs> routine, I really I hope he's listening. That routine is getting old there, uh, guy.
0: Yeah, I know. that. And, yeah, but, I know.
11: But the Yankees, as far as I'm concerned, this is obviously my prediction every year to be playing baseball in October in the South Bronx, and Danielle – You should get more airtime on the fan. They should have you on 24 hours a day. You should be a a consultant to the fan. That's how good you are, and you're growing on us, and we like it. We really like your your show. You're entertaining, you're informative, and we like you, and we want to hear more of you.
0: Axel, thank you. I appreciate it, and and I'll talk to you. You'll be surprised because, spoiler alert, I'll be on uh, this Friday and Saturday of this coming week. So you got me twice this coming weekend. So, um I mean, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. I think the Yankees are immediately in contention with their Garrett Cole signing. Um, I love the prove-it deals. I love those deals, the one-year, show-me-what-you-got kind of deal. Um, and I think it just, if players are incentivized by money, that's the deal for them. Um, so coming up in, in just a few seconds, we have, or a couple, or two minutes or so, we've got uh, John Schmelk, WFAN's Knicks blogger and host of the Bank Shop Podcast Also covers the New York Giants for Giants.com. So he's coming up right on the other side of this break. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. Hit the road,
3: Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back
11: no more. Even those who, who didn't think the Knicks had a chance to be a very good team this year didn't expect that. No one expected it. This poor start.
0: And we're here on McCartan After Midnight with John Schmelk WFN's Nick Blogger, and uh, host of WFAN's Bank Shot, Nick's podcast. And he also covers the Giants for Giants.com. John, thanks for joining us tonight.
12: Danielle, happy to be with you. And I think Nick fans hope that maybe not just David Finsdale will be hitting the road in a... Uh few months from now
0: that's you know the Knicks have had a historically bad season John as you know and let's go a little bit through this just to kind of I don't know just figure it out for Knicks fans here what do you make of the firing of of David Fisdale
12: the team had lost consecutive games by 44 and 37 points which is obviously really hard to do I mean you can lose games to lose consecutive games by 44 and 37 the second one at home is really difficult so you know, Marcus Morris I think is is the one or well, one of the real true pros on the team. I think he has a lot of pride. And I think that bothered him. I bet you he just wanted to take some of his teammates to task and and make sure that they were ready to play. And I think in the end, uh and, and we could talk about the specifics of, of why, but I think a big reason why Steve Mills and James Dolan pulled the trigger when they did on David Fisdale is that the last two games, uh the team simply was not competitive. Which is a obviously a huge problem for a coach whose strength is supposed to be reaching his players.
0: So, put yourself in ownership's perspective or upper management's perspective, if you will. Why on earth would you let the guy run practice and then fire him? I think that's cruel.
12: Uh, honestly, it, look, it's it, it's silly. Doesn't it make a lot of sense. No, is it a big deal? I don't think so. You know, it's the old public relations trick—the late Friday news dump. Yeah. So you want to release your news as late on Friday as possible. So. It hits the Friday night, Saturday morning news cycle, which is obviously a lot uh, smaller than Friday afternoon or or Sunday morning if you do it on Saturday. Is it silly? Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, he even addressed the meeting in the afternoon and then they let him go afterwards. But, you know, it happens. I, I don't think this is Mets-Willie Randolph-West Coast level. Is it a good look? No. But in the end, does it really matter? Uh, I don't think so.
0: Well, then I, what also I think is kind of cruel, too, is that, y- you know, that you hold the press conference that night at the Garden, November 10th. And to me, that sets up like some sort of toxic environment. Because the head coach, he's got to be looking over his shoulder, not just... If, but just when he was going to be let go after that press conference, what do you think?
12: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's not what good franchises do. And you could tell that Steve Mills and Scott Perry didn't want to do it because it looked like they were literally in a hostage video. <laughs> I mean, no one no one wanted <laughs> to be in that position less than those two guys at that time. So <laughs> it was pretty obvious that James Dolan, you know, pushed them into having that little press conference because he was unhappy with how the Knicks had performed at home that night against the Cavaliers, which, again, was a game where they were non-competitive, right? Right. So, yeah, I mean, it is funny. If you actually listen to the words they said in that press conference, they actually gave the coach a vote of confidence in what they said. But the mere fact they had the press conference at all told you that David Fisdale was on the hot seat and things better get better quickly or heads were eventually going to roll.
0: And we're talking with John Schmelke on, on McCartan After Midnight on the fan. And so now... You got to look at the roster, too. Like, you know, I, I, I'm wondering, and I think a lot of Knicks fans are wondering, was Fisdale set up to fail? Because who could have won with the way this roster is constructed? You got so many power forwards. You got Randall, Portis, Morris, Gibson. And more importantly, John, there's no real point guard. So who really can win with this roster?
12: Can you win at a high level or make the playoffs with this roster? No. Should this roster be on pace for 15 wins? No. Uh, this is a much better roster than the Knicks had last year when they're rolling out Emmanuel Moutier and, uh, you know, Mario Hazonia and Ennis Cantor. This roster is better than that. So uh, this is how I put it to Knicks fans too, who who kind of have said the same thing to me. The roster is bad. Even if David Fisdale maximized the talent on the roster, they're winning 28-30 games, Okay. But he has taken a 28-win roster, or even 27 roster, whatever, and turned it into a 15-win roster. He has not maximized the talent at his disposal. And I think more so than the record, it's what you see, for the people that actually have the displeasure of watching this team <laughs> on a nightly basis, what you see, uh, the rotations and the lineups don't make any sense. Uh, He insists on playing Marcus Morris and Julius Randle together. He constantly has three big men on the floor in a league that is playing increasingly smaller. Uh, He has defenses that change and shift on a nightly basis. You have a young team. You want to have one fundamental defensive strategy to guard the pick and roll and stick with it no matter who you're playing. He changes every night, which gets confusing. Uh, The defense does not guard the three-point line. Uh, Offensively, his offense is stagnant. Um, he doesn't move the basketball, and he's actually said in press conferences, well, the Rockets don't move the basketball, you don't care. Well, guess what? The Knicks don't have James Harden. So it, it was really was a, was, was a foolish thing to say. And you just go down the line, he hasn't illness fit in Julius Randle, who before he got here was one of the more efficient scorers in the NBA, period. Not just for for any player. He had 60% your shooting percentage, uh, scored 20 points a game, one of only seven players to do that last year. He's come here, and he's been bad. And David Fisdale... Refused to alter how he used him to try to get better things out of him, and I think the most important thing, Daniel, and I think this is where you get to where the tire meets the road. The young players on this team are not getting better. There's no sign that he's able to develop players. You know, they brought in all those failed top ten picks last year; not one stuck. They all left after the year. Now Julius Randle's gotten here. He's gotten worse. Dennis Smith Junior.'s gotten here. He's gotten worse. The only reason Frankie Latina is actually playing is because every other point on the roster got hurt. Right. So that fell into his lap. Kevin Knox hasn't improved. Last year, he let Kevin Knox do whatever he wants, let him play 35 minutes a game no matter how bad he played. This year, all of a sudden, he's, he's, he's playing the tough love game. You know, it's just a really weird shift. And, you know, Mitchell Robinson is in his, is less disciplined in his second year than he was in his first. Alonzo Triers drilled to the bench. So, Those specific things, I think what David Fisdell has shown, while you're right, he cannot win with this team to any large extent. He's not making a playoff run. Nobody could. But in my opinion, what you've seen from him over the last 100 games has shown he is not the coach that's going to get your team where they're going to go once you do have the talent on the roster. It's very telling that we've watched him coach. 104 games, we still have no idea what he wants his identity of his team to be, what, they, what he wants them to do on offense. Does he want them to be a fast team? Does he want them shooting threes? What does he want them to be on defense? How does he want them to guard the pick and roll? The fact that after 104 games, we don't know what he wants his team to be is a problem. And as bad as the Nets were under Kenny Atkinson in his first three or four seasons there while they were rebuilding with no draft picks, He established the style of play. With Fizdale, you couldn't even see the plan. and I think that's eventually what cost him his job.
0: Is Scott Perry the guy to lead the process moving forward? Uh, I
12: think Steve Mills is the bigger issue than Scott Perry, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to tell, Danielle, really, which one of those guys are making each individual basketball decision. It really is. uh, Just because we don't know how that works. But I think it's Steve Mills whose head is on the chopping block next. And I think that press conference... As you mentioned, Steve Mills basically this summer tried to sell James Dolan the same Bill of Goods he sold fans. That yeah. After they missed out on the big superstars, oh, this is our plan B, we're happy with who we got, it's going to work out, we got a pretty good team here, we'll make a playoff run. And it was all nonsense. But I'm sure he tried to sell his owner on that too mm-hmm. because James Dolan was expecting Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Yeah. So once Dolan saw that wasn't happening on the court and the team was on pace for 15 wins and they were playing bad basketball, he probably went to Steve Mills and said, yo, Steve, what's up? This is a problem. He blames the coach. Now it'll basically be up to Mike Miller to take and bring more out of this roster. And that will prove Steve Mills right in that, look, I had a good roster. The coaches couldn't get it done. Now, if this roster continues to be this bad or just a, a, a regular brand of bad under Mike Miller, I think there's a good chance that Steve Mills gets jettisoned in May, which is why a lot of fans I know, in have gone Gotten calls about it tonight too, or want to allow who the next head coach of the Knicks is. Well, the Knicks should not hire a head coach until the summer because you do not want Steve Mills picking your next head coach, especially if he's going to be out of a job at the end of the year, which I think, as long as the team doesn't have a meteoric or significant turnaround, I think there's a good chance the Knicks have a new president this summer. Then you let the new president select a new coach.
0: And we're talking with John Schmelk here on WFAN. Now, now, John, i got to ask you, Mike Miller, he's going to finish out the remainder of the season, which is a lot of games. And what differentiates him from Fisdale and his style of coaching? Uh, I can tell you that if you
12: take a look at what his teams did in the G League, is that he knows how to coach defense. And if you look at his four years with Westchester and the Knicks, he was coach of the year one year. And in three of those four years, I believe he had a top six, seven, or eight defense, um, top five in two of those years, I believe. So that's a roster that literally turns over every single offseason, right? So the fact that he's managed a top ten defense three years over that period tells me he knows how to coach defense. Offensively, his teams play at a slow pace. They don't shoot enough threes. That's a problem. And that's something they're going to have to try to figure out because you can't really win that way in the NBA. And so, the Knicks
0: are uh, last in the league in points per game. That's kind of not, if I'm a Knicks fan, uh, that's not what I want to see, a defensive guy, you know what I'm saying? No, I
12: do, and, and and I think that goes back. And I think you need Julius Randle to be a better offensive player. That's why they needed to bring him in this off season because they did not have a guy that could score with any efficiency. And that's why his poor play this year, and it's been bad, and that's one of Mike Miller's big responsibilities here, put Julius Randle in a position where he can succeed, that's going to be a big thing he needs to do. You're right. It comes down to, I think you said this previously, they don't have a real point guard. And I think in this league, in the NBA, you need a point guard that can, or just a guard, a, a playmaker. It doesn't have to be a point guard that can create a shot for themselves and others, and the Knicks don't have that right. dynamic player on the wing. I love Frankie Nielakina, but he's more of a helping player. I'm curious to see how they're going to handle the young guys now. Are they going to sit down some of these veterans they gave money to and just focus on developing the young guys? Yeah. Starting December 15th, they can trade now these veterans that they signed this Mm offseason. Marcus Morris would be the one guy, I think, that other teams would have interest in as a player that can help a team win. Can you get a late first-round pick or a couple of twos for him, and do you want to do that if you can? So I think it'll be interesting to see how Miller handles the young players.
0: Since the Knicks fired Jeff Van Gunny in 2001, they've had a revolving door of head coach. They've had 12 in 19 season. Who, John, ultimately is to blame for the revolving door of the head coaches of the New York Knicks?
12: That's a really good question. I mean, I think ownership is number one, right? And he's the guy that's making decisions on the team presidents that and general managers that eventually make the decisions on the head coaches. So I think those are the guys you look at. You look at James Dolan and then a combination of Isaiah Thomas and Steve Mills and Phil Jackson and, you know, those groups of guys. And, look, when you're bad, you change coaches. That's how the NBA works. It's such a short lifespan. I agree. It's a bad look and a lack of stability. And GMs and presidents doing press conferences before coaches after 10 games is not a look that players want, which is why this year uh, it was a real important year to start looking like a more competent, I'll use, franchise mm-hmm. that was on a good path to become more attractive to free agents the next couple of summers. And so far that hasn't happened. And you hope that whoever the next coaches can uh, have better results on the floor. Because the bottom line is, Danielle, you have all these issues. And winning solves everything. And I think Dolan becomes more palatable to players once the Knicks start winning games. Mm -hmm. And that's only going to come with better coaching and better players, which frankly is going to take some time.
0: Maybe Mike Miller would be the answer. Who knows? Long term, we're talking now, like for a permanent head coach, what are some early names? Because I've seen one and I would love if WNBA legend Becky Hammond, she's got five seasons after this year of NBA coaching experience. You know, one, will she get a real shot? And if not, who are going to be some of the early names to look out for?
12: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i sure the look at her, Greg Popovich assistants always have, you know, a really good look and to see if, if they can, you know, cut it as head coaches in the NBA. With assistants, whether it's Becky Hammond or, or any of the other assistants or a couple of assistants in Portland, it's just hard for me to know for guys that never coached a team before, right. or women that never coached an, an NBA team before, to whether or not they're going to be a good head coach. So Becky Hammond could be a great head coach. She might not be. Until you get in that chair, I think it's, it's very difficult to know how good of a coach that assistant is going to be. But yes, she should absolutely, as one of Greg Popovich's top, her, his top assistant, she should absolutely be considered. I think they need to stay as far away from Mark Jackson as possible. I think that would be a, a terrible, terrible idea. In just the following year, one year later became the best offense in the history of the NBA. And he had them ranked as like the 14th best offense in the league with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Mm. Uh, yeah, he got the team to play defense. That's great. But he took again what turned out to be a 70 win team and won like 52 games with it. So stay as and this off the court stuff where his assistant coaches are like recording conversations and coaches meetings. There's a fans if you want to just just Google search Mark Jackson Golden State Warriors and there's a lot of stuff off the court. You want no part of that guy. I know he's a name and fans know him. You don't want any part of that. Uh, I'm a sucker for Jeff Van Gundy. I think he would be a good choice. He's coached the U.S. junior team over the past couple of years and, you know, uh, doing the Olympic stuff. I think he wants to do it. I don't think Dolan would pull the trigger on that. But I think you're on the right track. I think you try to, you know, let your next president find the coach, whether it's a guy that's coached before or an assistant like, like a Becky Hammond, someone like that, you know coach the way he wants the organization to look on the court, which is why I think if you're a Knick fan, as much as you want them to look better, I don't think you want them to look too much better where Steve Mills manages to keep his job this summer. Because Mm -hmm. I hate to say it, uh, until he's out of there, I don't think there's reason for a whole lot of optimism in terms of the Knicks selecting the right players and free agency in the draft and making smart front office decisions over the next few years.
0: So Mike Miller could do could do well, but just not too well. That's that's such a yeah. silly concept. <laughs> <laughs> and John, let's kind of wrap up here with a silly question sure. because Mets fans' prayers were answered. What percentage chance do you see Knicks fans' prayers being answered as well? Ever? Can you give me a time frame? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, I uh, within the next, let's say Mets are on the next five year plan. Five years. Five
12: in the next five years will James Dolan sell the Knicks? I would give it a 2% chance. Oof. Here's the problem. It makes, <laughs> it, it is, that place makes him so much money it's literally loss proof. I'm a season ticket holder, right? And I still sell my tickets on the secondary market at a profit. That team has been so bad, as you mentioned, for 20 years. 20 years! The building's always full. If you're the owner of that, why would you ever sell it?
0: John, I, uh, I hear you're working on a new project uh, with the Giants. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about that?
12: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. We have a brand-new podcast network with the New York Giants. We've got a bunch of podcasts out. Um, Big Blue Kickoff Live, which is our daily show, is live at 1.30, but it also has its own podcast feed, Big Blue Kickoff, uh, Giants Huddle, is our interview podcast, so go check it out. And then every Monday or after every Giants game, the, the day after, we get Carl Banks for 20 minutes to a half an hour on Giants Rewind. Uh, go to the Giants mobile app. You can find it. That's on. There's a podcast tab. You can go to Giants.com slash podcast or go to any of your favorite podcast platforms, find it, subscribe. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a positive review if you like what you hear.
0: He is John Schmelk, WFAN's Nick blogger and host of WFAN's Bankshot, Nick's podcast. So, John, thanks for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it.
12: Hey, thanks for having me, Daniel. Appreciate it.
0: And let's load up the calls again. 877-337-6666. More recalls after the breaks. Yankees, Giants, Jets, whatever. I have a huge problem with the jersey swap that the Jets did after that Ravens game. So uh, I'm Daniel McCarten after midnight on the fan, and he is Marco Belletti. Mark. Welcome back, everybody. To McCarten after midnight. I guess we're it's four forty five, so we are McCartan in the morning now. I love the alliteration that's still gonna happen here. Um we have, uh, let's see, coming up next is going to be Richard Neer coming in at 6. I'm with you till 6 o'clock, so you guys want to get those phone calls in, 877-337-6666. We do have a few on hold. Um, just a quick preface, I guess I could say that, you know, it's what, week uh, what 15 in the NFL action, and we have the Jets that just lost a real big stinker to the best team in the, um, in the AFC, in the Baltimore Ravens, I think. I think so. I think uh, – If it came down to it, I think the Ravens would beat the Patriots in an AFC championship game. But that's just me because Lamar Jackson, as I know, because I told you I'm in that free league, fantasy football league, and I'll take a look at it right now. But I'm in the playoffs. I got to the playoffs. And unfortunately for me, uh, the girl I'm playing has Lamar Jackson as her quarterback. Put up 212 passing yards, five passing touchdowns. Why couldn't they run them in? For my, for my sake, Lamar Jackson put up 37.08 fantasy points this week. So that's great. Somehow I still have a 40% chance to win on Yahoo Sports. I have no idea. So it is uh, – uh, Jets are, are off this week, which maybe means we're going to get a, a good football game in the 4 o'clock slot this week. And the Giants, of course, are hosting the Dolphins at home, which, you know, it's a 1 o'clock game. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Stuart in Brooklyn, you're on the fan.
1: Good morning, Danielle. How are I'll you? To you. Uh, Danielle, the Yankees went out and got the big whale. Hopefully they can get some other pieces that they might need to have for more depth in the infield and maybe another outfielder, but I, we don't know what we're going to do with Hawkman uh, and Frazier. Those
0: are good problems now, to far- have, though, aren't they? What? Good problems to have, though, aren't they? Of course it
1: is, Danielle, but the infield, uh, I, I can't see giving up on Andrew Hall. I mean, he could be, uh, take some grounders or fill some field from first base and maybe give Urshela a day off at third. They have they don't have many deficiencies. I mean, everybody's talking about Josh Hader. What have you heard about that?
0: Yeah, well, listen, I think that Andujar is going to have to fight for that job back. I mean, you've heard the Yankees say it. it's Urshela's job at third base well, to definitely lose. Urshela's
1: job. I mean, but the, uh, Andujar could be a DH or he could take some... Uh, player for a space some learn how to play for a space but he has a good bat he has awesome bat speed and he's not a bad guy I mean uh, he would be he would be a good fit as far as the DH position go and maybe a a spot, to start here and there, at third and and, and at first base.
0: Well, don't forget but, you have John Carlos Stanton too, and, and Gary Sanchez. Yeah, I
1: know with that, that uh, with that other monster contract, which uh, like you said just before, we didn't need John Carlos Stanton. Yeah. And uh, that's just another burden that's going to come down the road. Hopefully, it won't bite them, won't bite the Yankees uh, as far as Judge and uh, Gleyber. I and think it's Stanton going to. I mean, the
0: young guys. How does it not? Up. How does it not bite them? I mean, he's, they got a lot uh, of money wrapped up in him.
1: Uh, too, many, too much money. And uh, as far as the Knicks go, uh, they, were you the one that said about the defense, uh, defensive technique of uh, Mike Miller? I mean, he coached defense down there in the G League?
0: Yeah, uh, John Schmelk said that, yes.
1: Yeah, John yeah. i It's about, you know, they, they don't have a good core bunch of players on the team, but it seems to me that now that they're getting the hang of this coach, they just seem to be playing a little bit harder from what I'm seeing. And, uh, like, I don't know if it was you or someone else, that Fizdale was not the right fit. And more than that, more than that, and I know we can't get rid of Dolan, and I think John Smoke was spot on by saying 2%. I would even go lower than that. Shit. He's not going to sell a, thing up, a team that's making money hand over fist, is he? Yeah. And he's not going to do that. But the thing is, Steve Mills, Steve Mills, I don't want him hiring another coach. I don't want him hiring another coach.
6: Well, that's the problem, I mean, right.
1: what, what has he done? Don't, what was the only coach he had in all those years was Mike Woodson.
0: And I think that, and, and Stuart, I just wrote a note down as you we were talking. Thanks for the call. I think that the, the, the Giants are in a, a comparable position to that because – I think we can all agree that it's 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 Pat Schirmer's last hurrah these last couple of weeks, and then the next question is: Does Dave Gettleman get get to keep his job? And you know, there's 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 pros and cons to both, and we can talk about that. But one of the cons is if you're going to dump Dave Gettleman, then like you you should do both at the same time because you can't let Gettleman. If you're going to give Gettleman how do I say this, if you're going to give Gettleman a like a one year trial period you can't let him pick your next head coach if he's potentially gone after a year himself. So I think their fate, I don't know, might be tied. And, and I honestly, I, if it's me, if I'm making the decision, I think it's Shermer out. And I think it's Gettleman at least one more year and let him pick the new coach. I mean, I, I know that's, it doesn't sound most appetizing for giants fans, but I, I'm not, I'd be fine either way with him, really. But to keep him, I mean, I like his resume. He's a three-time Super Bowl champion as an administrator and an an executive, three in total. I mean, he found Darius Slayton, who's like one of the best wide receivers for the Giants, favorite target of Daniel Jones, maybe Eli. He drafted Daniel Jones, who is, I mean, he's got the sixth best, best passer rating for all rookie quarterbacks. And by the way, Daniel Jones has thrown the most touchdown passes for a rookie out of the entire class. He didn't even play for the first two weeks or even last week. And that's the 18 total, which is two more than, ooh, number one overall pick, Kyler Murray, for those of you keeping track. I mean, Gettleman has constructed what he could out of the roster that Reese left him. I mean, look at it. There is a quarterback of the future, Not you know, mostly, everybody's sure about that, there is a quarterback of the future with the Giants. If they develop Jones properly, if they stop the fumbles, he's already on the the all-time Giants list of fumbles. He's already made it there, and he's only played in how many games? But they do have a good young core to go forward with, um, and none of those things were present when he walked through the door. And if you want more examples, we could talk more examples. But, uh, you know, everybody points to, oh, well, that, that Leonard Williams trade. I mean, it wasn't terrible at the time. I mean, you got to listen to this. Giants, You guys questioned the move for Williams. I mean, yes, he's been underwhelming for both the Jets and the Giants now, of course. But, you know, you, you questioned it. Why would he move a third-round 2020 pick and a fifth-round 2021 pick? Which could be a fourth-rounder if he resigns for an extension. But people are ignoring the fact, or maybe don't know the fact, that the Jets picked up $4 million of Williams' $6 million this season. So it was sort of like, besides the draft stock, you know, it wasn't a big hit for the Giants because Gettleman, what he did was he put all of his stock into Williams, of falling in love, playing well, and not wanting to test the free agent market. I would let him go. I'd let him walk. I'd let him test it and see what happens. But he has played in like 80% of snaps this season. And I, at the time, I, I called it a $2 million experiment to see how Dexter Lawrence flourishes with a guy like that next to him who will maybe potentially draw a double team and then maybe the giants would then know if they need an edge rusher because at that point they were like I don't know 5th or 6th in the draft order now they're 2nd i think they do go and get that guy that kid from ohio state the edge rusher and him and 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 dexter lawrence on on a defensive line i, I think that would at least strike a little bit of fear in opposing offenses and offensive lines i think so I, and, I, and I think another blemish on on Dave Gettleman for me is that, I mean, you should have traded Janoris Jenkins when he was worth something last year. Everyone expected it. You just couldn't pull the trigger on a deal. And so in that sense, I think all of us can agree, whether you're a Giant fan or not, that Schirmer will be out after this season, I, I think. I mean, for all the reasons I gave before, we can go over him again at the top of the hour. Um, but as far as Gettleman going with him, for me, if it's me making the decision, I give Gettleman one more draft class. And I know some of you Giants fans are probably like, oh, no way. You gotta be kidding me. But that's 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 what I would do. So um, obviously the Miami Dolphins are coming to MetLife Stadium. We could preview that um, after the break. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. And hello again, everybody. I'm Daniel McCartan here with you for the last hour or so on McCartan After Midnight, or shall we call it McCartan in the morning at this point in time. It's 5.05. I am out of here at 6. Richard Near comes your way at that point in time. Uh, So, let's do a quick little recap here of of what happened tonight. For those of you guys just tuning in, possibly. Hey, so, in the open, you know, I'd pick songs for each of the teams, pretty much. And what I picked for um, the Giants. I mean, the Giants are, are the only New York football team playing this weekend, for the Giants I picked a, a song called Say Something and you might know it by a, a great big world and Christina Aguilera I said that because I, I, I the, the lyric is uh, say something or I'm giving up on you and something like that and I think that I think it's time that every 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 week I've come out and said you know Pat Shermer this, Pat Shermer that but that final play of, of the Monday Night Football game was just really inexcusable. I, I've always been on erring on Pat Shermer's side. But that Monday Night Football game, just totally inexcusable. It sealed the deal for me, really, in regards to Pat Shermer. I'm just kind of coming to terms with it. But why on earth would you choose to kneel on the ball with 43 seconds left, with three timeouts, and with Eli Manning, not rookie Daniel Jones at the helm? And everybody, listen, I know he's not Eli Manning of old. And some of you might argue that he, he never was. You know, whatever. But Eli Manning has 37 game-winning touchdown drives in his entire career. That's tied for ninth all-time with Matt Ryan. And if he would have got that win the other night, he would have tied Johnny Unitas for eighth on the all-time list. So I wish that the Giants took a page out of the Denver Broncos book, believe it or not, because I don't know if you saw it, what they did, if they were in pretty much in an identical situation versus the Chargers on December 1st. And and they winged it downfield with time expiring. Chargers cornerback Casey Hayward, DPI, defensive pass interference, blow the whistle, throw the flag. It was a 37-yard gain for the Broncos on that call. And on the very next play, Brandon McManus drilled a 53-yard Game-winning field goal. So my advice to the Giants would... I mean, they had three timeouts remaining and 43 seconds left. Don't play coy. Don't kneel down. You gotta take a line out of the Herman Edwards book. You play to win the game. And Pat Shermer in that game did everything he could to not win that game. And I hate to say it. And now there's Janoris Jenkins thing, Totally out of control. He's waived. Rightfully so. I mean, he's been a complainer for, for more than, on, on more than one occasion this season. And if you have a problem with your defensive coordinator and the way he uses you, then you go talk to your defensive coordinator, Janoris Jenkins, not the media in front of your locker room. In front of your locker after a game. And the Giants' mistake is that they didn't trade him last year when he had some value just to get something back for him. And, you know, I, I said it I, with that whole um, Antonio Brown with the helmet thing. I, I thought, I was like, you know, I've tweeted it. I said, oh man, wouldn't this be uh, um, crazy if this was like Antonio Brown's way of like forcing his trade, a trade? And guess what happened? He forced a trade, okay? So this is Janoris Jenkins pulling a an extreme measure just to force himself as, into a trade situation or a release situation at this point, unfortunately for the Giants. And while that's all crazy... Um, I also then played the Real Housewives of New Jersey theme for the Jets because there's so much drama coming out of that Jets locker room that I feel like when I turn on the Jets, I turn on the Housewives of New Jersey. And despite the fact that, which I'm still not over the fact that Adam Gay skipped Thanksgiving dinner, planned all week for a game against the worst team in football, winless, zero, and they were 11 at the time, Bengals. This offensive god, this offensive guru, didn't even get his offense into the red zone. Not even one time. And then, of course, the Jets then go ahead and get embarrassed on national TV on that short week Thursday night. Wasn't even a game. No one was expecting it to be a game. I don't even know why it was in that time slot. And there's actually Jets fans out loud saying, well, you know, it wasn't so bad. It could have been worse. Could have been worse? Uh, I see you have some some high, great expectations for your team. And then you got Le'Veon Bell's situation. This is just feeding into the drama. Petty Adam Gase didn't want him. He made sure everyone knew this. And if I was ownership and I was the GM, I'd be furious with the fact that he's has not geared his game plans to fit Bell's running style, not gotten him the checkdowns in, in the pass game. And then there was that very weird leak to the New York Post the bowling in a bowling alley in Booton, New Jersey, which is very far away from right here, and this whole idea, uh, just to to demoralize Le'Veon Bell, is a terrible look, and it's gonna backfire on this genius case because you got at this point, you got to look to maximize his value in a trade, which I don't agree to trade him to begin with, because if I'm picking between the two of them, I'm picking Le'Veon Bell. Wouldn't you want to make Bell though, if if your plan is to trade him, to make him look like the best player he can be, sell high in a way to showcase his talents, to these potential other teams, these other suitors, to say look, he can still play in the league. I mean, that's what I would do if I was the coach, but you know I'm not. And then the finally the the, the other drama is is the argument of of Sam Darnold arguing with Gase on the sideline, and then Luke Falk's reaction is everything in his face. It says it all. I could just imagine what was exchanged between the two of them. It it was like an argument, and then Darnold turned his back and walked away, and then Gase went back after him, and then Darnold turned back around. I mean, this is just on on national TV. You can't even get it together on national TV. You don't do that to your young quarterback who's on the sideline of a primetime game, especially if you saw ghosts in that spot last time. And, And I said it last week. I'll say it again. It's actually amazing what Sam Darnold has been able to accomplish in spite of Adam Gase. Because opposing defenses can sit back in coverage literally 75% of the time. They expect past 75% of the time. And they're right all of the time, or most of it anyway. So what Darnold has done really shows to me that he he has some talent. And then you look at what Tannehill's done without Gase, I'm wondering what Darnold could do without Gase. So, I mean, the football teams in this town are not so good. And neither are... I mean, the Nets are doing probably fine, but the Knicks, are bottom of the basement. So while they might be inflicting nightmares into your sleep right now at 5, 12 in the morning, remember, there's 59 days until our pitchers and our catchers, no matter what team you like, report to sunny, warm Florida. And then I introduced the Yankees this morning earlier with Taylor Swift's Welcome to New York. I was like sitting on that song. I needed to use it for something. Perfect slot. Garrett Cole, he's finally a Yankee. And I told you here last week that I, I was no tiki barber, but I did have a, close, a source close to that situation. And Andy Pettit told that person that the meeting went well. And both sides, and the quote was, were really engaged. I told you that his sister, who followed him to UCLA and to Pittsburgh for an internship, works at a law firm with five offices in our very nearby metro area. I told you he'd be paying less in taxes to be a New York resident than, than a, a California resident and that he was awestruck when his family stayed at the New York Yankees team hotel during the 2001 World Series. He saw Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams, and Paul O'Neill in the lobby. In the end, the price, but more importantly, the years were right. Nine years, $324 million. And the Yankees landed the biggest fish in the free agent market and the best pitcher in all of Major League Baseball, Garrett Cole. And then quickly I introduced the Mets with the instrumental from Thrift Shop by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis because while the Yankees and Brian Cashman are, are, are big game hunting at the top of the free agent market in every fathom, fathomable position, the New York Mets and Brody Van Wagenen, they're seemingly doing their shopping in a thrift shop. They added rah, a, a platoon center fielder and Jake Marisnik last week and two... Major project starting pitchers. Rick Porcello, whose ERA in 2019 was a 5.52. Michael Waka, whose ERA in 2019 was a 4.76. And then they got that $10 million discount on that Cespedes deal. And um, Dallin Patansis, where are you? Why hasn't Brody made you a New York Met yet? So I'll remind you again this week. Way to hug your pillows tightly tonight, New York sports fans because baseball season is coming. And then you get the 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 numbers when you look at the breakdown of of the Garrett Cole contract, I mean, you're looking at numbers that like are like lottery numbers, right? And he's making like we said three twenty four million a year, uh, I mean total, which makes breaks down to 300, which breaks down to 36 million dollars a year which breaks down to $3 million a month, which breaks down to $98,000 a day. And we're about, let's say, how many minutes are we here? 60 times three plus, 60 times three plus 15 minutes into the show. So I'm just trying to figure out how many, uh, how many $68.49 a minute times, 60 minutes, and we've been on for three hours. So I, I under Garrett Cole money, I, I've made tonight under Garrett Cole's contract about $12,328. A little more than that, actually. That's not so bad. <laughs> and we'll load up all your calls. I will get through them right after on the other side of this break. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. W-F-A-N. And hello again, everybody. I'm Daniel McCartan here on McCartan After Midnight on WFAN Radio in New York City. And it's football time. It's, it's the weekend and it's time for football. But the Jets, um, they are, they are not playing this weekend because they played on Thursday night. The Giants are taking on the Dolphins. We'll get to that in one second, I promise. And I just wanted to point something out to you guys about Adam Gase. This was a NewJersey.com article that, that someone had shown me this morning, and the, I'll read right from the article. It was an article written by uh, Matt, I'm going to butcher his last name, Stolpowski from New Jersey.com, and he, he wrote, The truth of the matter is that the Jets ranked 22nd and 3rd quarter points entering Week 15, 3.9 per game, and they posted 0 against the Ravens. In total, the Jets have tallied 33 3rd quarter possessions this year, and they've punted 22 times. In those third quarters, they've reached the end zone just three times. And that factors to be 9% of the Jets' third quarter drives have ended in touchdowns. Just a pitiful. Nine. And now the Giants have this Janoris Jenkins situation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Let's hit the phones. Let's go to Marty in Westchester. Thanks for hanging on. You're on the fan.
9: Good morning, Daniel. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, Greg. I'd like to talk about the uh, Giant Dolphins game on Sunday. Sure. I know last week uh, you you picked the Giants to beat the uh, Eagles. They came pretty close, yeah. actually, especially in the first half. Mm-hmm.
4: But uh, is this the week they finally end that nine-game losing streak? Uh, uh, how do you see this game?
0: Well, I actually, and and we'll do we'll do the prediction right now. So we have the three and ten Miami Dolphins at the two and eleven New York Giants, the last place in the AFC East and the last place in the NFC East. The Giants actually are three-point favorites to the Dolphins this week, the last I checked. So, Marty, I am going Giants 31, Dolphins 24.
4: That would make for a good story, especially given the fact that this probably will be Eli's only opportunity to play at home. Yep. Uh, they could say that Daniel Jones is improving, so I would suspect he would play the last home game. But I think that's uh, that's something that uh, all Giant fans are rooting for. Also, I... I we don't know which Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to show up. I mean, he could mm-hmm. be lights out some weeks, other weeks he could, he could be awful. So, mm-hmm. uh, especially against a giant secondary. So, uh, I mean, um, let's hope for a win. That's all I could say.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think we are hopeful for a win. And Marty, thanks for the call. And he mentioned Marty mentioned just right now the secondary. You got this Janoris Jenkins situation, and you know we can get into the the ex- exactly what it was and who who should have a phone and at their job. But the truth of the matter is this he is not going to be playing for the, cornerback for the cornerback for the New York Giants this weekend. And that leaves DeAndre Baker and Corey Ballantyne as the cornerbacks, the starting cornerbacks, rookies, okay? So, yes, I think Fitzpatrick is going to try to pick at them. Um, but you got to remember that this is a Dolphins team that, that, that didn't score a touchdown against the Jets. It was seven field goals. Should have been eight, but it was seven and maybe you're thinking oh DeAndre Baker oh maybe, you know here we go again with him well actually according to pro football focus he recorded an 87.6 overall grade in my line of work that's a that's a high b almost a b minus against the eagles he had three pass breakups on five targets and allowed just one catch for 7 yards so deandre baker had a great game he's coming off of a great game versus the eagles maybe maybe that was the rebound game that he needed who knows so um I, I, I don't know, but I think you also have to look out for it, and maybe not because you're the Giants, but the Jets made the, the Dolphins rookie running back, is Patrick Laird, look like uh, like um, Barry Sanders out there that week. Coming into play, he had 11 games and one touchdown and 36 career rushing yards. Then when he played the Jets, he had 48 yards rushing in one game and 38 yards receiving, which is like looks like a like a Barry Sanders so I don't know if I'm the Giants I'd be a little concerned about that guy as well Ron and Tom's River you're on the fan
1: hey Danielle how are you a big fan uh happy holidays the whole nine yards yeah, but <laughs> uh too. Just curios- it's curiosity what do you think about mental toughness as far as the Giants go bring in Ron Rivera and get rid of Shermer he's probably a good offensive coordinator somewhere but he's not a head coach but I'm just curious what you think about Ron Rivera being the you know the next head coach of the Giants with the Gettleman connection.
0: Yeah, and Ron, thanks for the call. I'll answer it in a second. So, I, you know, this Ron Ron phone call for for Ron Rivera. Um, everybody's trying to connect the dots between him Rivera and, and Dave Gettleman from their time in in Carolina. Um, but I did read an article somewhere along the line. It was like two weeks ago that Ron Rivera actually. Um, he He was the spokesperson for a lot of things that had gone wrong down there in Carolina, and if I was put on the spot just like that i don't I don't know if I'd be i don't know want to subject myself to that in the biggest media market in the league, having to explain decisions for other people, for GMs and for Dave Gettleman and you've seen Shermer have to have to do that this season. How many times has Dave Getaman get up got up there and, and talked? It's been Pat Shermer. I mean, that's the answer. And so I I just I I am not optimistic on a Ron Rivera and uh Dave Getterman reunion. I, I just I don't think it's gonna happen. Um I think that the Giants do need to go in the direction, and I haven't given this too too much thought because Pat Shermer still is the coach of the Giants. Um, but my recommendation for the Giants is to go with somebody that is um, tried and true, has experience. Ron Rivera does check those boxes. I think Mike McCarthy, who I, who I wanted the Jets to hire last year, um, is another guy who who does do that. Check those boxes because you know to f- find this hotshot guy like a Cliff Kingsbury, it's 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 not a good look for the Giants just just at this point in time. Mike in Queens, you're on the fan.
2: Hey, you know you you brought up a great point, but to me, I think what People don't understand this. Bill Belichick was a horrible coach with the Cleveland Browns, okay? Tom Brady was an average quarterback with Michigan in college. So how do you go from being bad to being the greatest at what you do? And when you look at this latest cheating scandal, I really believe they've won all their Super Bowls because they're cheating. And and it's not about cheating with the flake gate or things like that. When you know the opponent's play calls, meaning if you're on defense, you, you know, okay, they are running the ball to the left. Your defense is going to be ready for that. When you know the defense is playing a certain coverage, and you're Tom Brady from a schematic standpoint, you're able to pick through that and know where guys are going to play. Right, that makes is- all the difference in the world. When you look at their Super Bowls, they're decided by six or less points. That tells you, you need to know. You don't go from being bad at your job to becoming the greatest that no one can ever duplicate. So my point is, all their Super Bowls and playoff wins were because of cheating. Not because no, they depleted football. No, because they know the opponents. Y- Mike, Mike. So y- I believe the NFL should strip them of every postseason
0: win. Okay, now Mike, Lombard- you're going off the deep end here. It's not going to happen. The NFL is not going to strip the Patriots of their Super Bowl champions. Mike, I'm sorry. I don't like hanging up on callers, but that was you were going off the deep end. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And Brian, behind the glass, just went in my ear and said that that Bill Belichick did take the, the Cleveland Browns to the playoffs. So he wasn't a terrible coach there. And Tom Brady was drafted at, what, 200th 200, 200 pick of the draft, whatever it was. You know, it, it, you know when you get into a, a situation where, I don't know, you just feel supported and, and you, have, you work well with other people, sometimes the magic happens. And the magic has been happening between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick for a very long time. Yeah, there have been some questionable things. But there has been absolutely no evidence, hard evidence, that the Patriots have cheated to win their Super Bowls. It's it's that's I mean, of course there's there's Spygate and DeflateGate and all these things, and now this last thing coming out. Um, I I I I don't I don't I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. They should take away their championships. I mean, come on, that that's that's too much. What's next? You're gonna just. uh, move the team or, or move them out of the AFC East or jet fan or something. No, it's just not happening. That's just, it's just, it's like fantasy league. You're not doing that. Kevin and Camden, you're on the fan. How are you doing? Good. How are you?
4: Good.
1: Listen, I love the moves the Mets made, Porcello and Walker,
4: but I, I feel like they're going to trade somebody and I don't like, the I don't want them to do it because I think it's going to be bad for them, but I, I love, they should just keep it deaf and just try to, win that way so that's what I think what do you think they should do
0: you think they should keep six or seven starting pitchers
4: well just for the depth of reasons you know just you know injuries and you
0: know no I Kevin thanks for your call I think uh, I don't think that's going to happen I I do not think Porcello is going to move into a relief role and Waka has already told you that he's not moving into a relief role so you cannot have seven starting pitchers, a rotation of like six or seven you can't you got to narrow it down to five and you hit on it, you had a good opening there, that I am afraid that Brody, no one, first of all, no one trusts Brody Van Wagenen, first of all. And I am afraid that he's going to turn around and deal a guy like Noah Syndergaard. And that would be absolutely terrible for the Mets. And then you hear the rumors of, of Brendan Nimmo going, which I think have cooled off. I mean, Mets Twitter was all, was all a, a Twitter when when the rumors came out that that Nimmo might have been traded i think that would be a terrible move the guy is an on-base machine draws walks hits the ball all over the field he's got a a, a on-base percentage at 387 i mean he's going to be only 27 years old in 2020 he's making like nothing so you can't trade him you can't especially if you're the mets Because you can't afford anybody. So no, the Mets are not going to go with the seven-man rotation. And I think Mets fans should be very worried that that a guy like Syndergaard, who every year comes up in trade rumors, might actually be dealt. And what you should also be worried about is these two projects that are going to be anchoring your your rotation, which was, in fact, the best rotation in baseball. I mean, you, you... that's worrisome if you're a Mets fan. And, and and if Cohen takes over as soon as possible, which I think he's going to want to, because you wouldn't wrap up hundreds of millions of dollars into a project to let someone else run it. I know I wouldn't. Right? And if I truly loved it, like he loves the Mets, I, I wouldn't let someone else run it. I would be in there every single day if I if I could have my hands on whatever it is. And I think Mets fans have to hold, just hold out for when Cohen comes and tosses them the, the life jacket or, or the dinghy or whatever because that's when things are going to get done. So Porcello, the Porcello deal, it's a one-year deal. I like it. Waka's deal is a one-year deal. I like it. I like those one-year deals. I said that tonight. But also I like it because I feel that Cohen's going to want as much control as possible beginning in, in 2021. And I think those one-year deals—it's it's a prove-it deal. Which one of you guys is going to make our roster moving forward, or none of you? And I think Brody Van Wagenen is going to be out at that point. I think he's going to be out. I mean, I was going to—I was giving him the benefit of the doubt last year. I was like, you know, he's—he's he's doing okay. He's got a limited budget. You can only do so much. But I—I I mean, you look at the the NF, NFC. You look at the NL East. All these teams are in the NL East are getting better by the day in the moves that they're making. I mean, you got Strasburg signing and and, and just every move that's being made in the, in the NL East has been making every team better. And the Mets are just kind of standing pat and making some JV-style moves. And and in that division, it's not going to cut it. And, and just hold on for, for Cohen, Mets fans. You just got to hold on. Obviously, more of your calls after the break, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. Last time, I am Danielle McCartan here with you on WFAN McCartan After Midnight or McCartan in the Morning, whatever you want to call it. Keep the alliteration. Um... Last chance to get your phone calls in 877-337-6666. And it is football weekend. We've had a great Giants and Jets dialogue tonight, as well as Mets and Yankees. Um, the the Yankees got their guy in Garrett Cole. The Mets are still trying to figure out how how they're gonna make make a, a big jump in the in the NL East when all of their opponents have been making the big money moves. You got the Phillies signing, first of all, Joe Girardi. Then they signed uh, uh, Didi Gregorius and Zach Wheeler. They got better. The Braves signed Will Smith and Cole Hamels. They got better. The Nationals re sign Steven Strasburg. They kind of stay where they're at, which was um, defending World Series champions. And then you got the Mets, Jake Marisnik, Rick Porcello, and Michael Waka. So if you're a Mets fan, you're kind of like waiting for the next, the next deal. Then you got the the Giants hosting the Dolphins at 1 p.m. And the Jets getting embarrassed in more ways than one in Baltimore on Thursday night. Because, did you see this? There's 4 million views of this on, on, on Twitter. There's a video of all the Jets players, not all, three of them, lining up for an autograph from Lamar Jackson. And it is painful to watch. Because Lamar Jackson not only like takes his own jersey off and signs it for them. He, he, Lamar Jackson told the equipment managers to bring out extra jerseys for, for Jets players to just sign and give them to them. And you had Le'Veon Bell in line. You had Robbie Anderson in line. And you had Burgess in line. And you know what? He's the only one that I kind of sort of understand it. Kind of sort of because they played together at Louisville. But Robbie Anderson and Le'Veon Bell, I don't know what you two are doing out there. I don't get it. Like It, it looked like an autograph line. Like like when these guys go and sign, I wonder how much L- Lamar Jackson charged them. They look like little fans. I mean, come on. That's embarrassing. So then I took to Twitter, as I always do, and I asked for your thoughts on the post-NFL game jersey swaps. I, my choices were, A, what a joke, B, don't mind them, or C, I love them. 60% of you don't mind them, but 35% say, what a joke. I mean, I, I don't mind them, but when there's three players and you have the quarterback, potential MVP of the league signing more than one, having his equipment manager bring the jerseys out so he can sign them for you, like extra ones, like the, the Ravens were black on Thursday night. He's signing white jerseys in, in the in the video. It's just excessive. It's just too much. Eddie in Rockland County, you're on the fan. Eddie. Oh, man. you got to dump you. Sorry, Eddie. Sparky in Dobbs Ferry, you're on the fan.
5: Uh, two quick points. One Yankee, one Mets. Sure. I, I think with the Yankees, it's weird. I think they only got one real move they got to make, and it's finding a replacement for Austin Romine.
0: Yeah. Yes. Um and that's not a hard move to make. There's a lot of catchers on the market, um, especially in, in a in a very good good quote unquote price range. Um and I yeah, the Yankees are locked and loaded. The Yankees I are, mean, are I mean, come on.
6: I mean, Danielle, to say I've
5: been spoiled rotten as a Yankee fan with be an understatement.
0: <laughs> I know. Haven't okay. haven't we all.
5: <laughs> okay, and now at the match, the thing that happened with Fastford is I think there's a lot more to that, because yep. in my I'm 64 years old, so I've seen a lot of stuff going on. I've never heard of a players' association signing off on a player taking a reduced salary.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I I agree with you. It, it might be like a Jacoby Ellsbury, and thanks for the call, Sparky. Jacoby Ellsbury sort of uh, situation where maybe he wasn't one. Well, Jacoby, Ells- maybe they he, Cespedes wasn't truthful about the injury to begin with didn't treat it the right way, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't know. But that's even worse because the Players Association came to Ellsbury's aid, and if you're saying that the, the Players Association did not come and help uh, Cespedes. Makes me think there's obviously more information there that, that we don't know. Mike in Myrtle Beach, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. How are you?
5: Good. It's coming in good. The signal's coming in good. good. Perfect. I'm tuned in uh, to your show for the last hour or so. Yeah. And so many things. I'm a, a long time Met fan, classic of Games. I'm glad that Cespedes, uh you know, got a notice that, uh, oh, wait, you're talking about so many millions. Well, now you cut it in half because last year, no show. Who knows what he's going to do this year? Yep. And the Yankees, you know, would call uh, great. But crazy contracts, nine years. That's a George Steinbrenner contract. Yeah. Uh, no offense to the good to the Yankee fans, yeah. but they're still stuck with Stanton. And I'll leave you with this, Danielle. Okay? Uh, what you mentioned and other good hosts with the Giants, as if they don't have enough things to worry about that Jenkins uh, jerk mm. who tweeted out uh, something disgraceful. Yep. Goodbye. The helmet incident, uh, you know, with the Steelers. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, um, uh, w- w- it's it's amazing, you know, what's going on. It used to be the National Football League. Now it's like the, a national uh, felony league, you know. But, uh, Danielle, good listen. Like I said to Tony Page, I hope he's enjoying his retirement. <laughs> uh, this is a one-two combination for me. Listening to you and then my man Rich Neer on deck. Listening there to him for 45 years.
0: There you go. Uh, all right, Danielle. You're in luck, Mike. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Nope. Oh, sorry. I cut him off. Okay, so we got to get through these a little bit quicker here. Ray in Plainfield. You're on the fan.
13: Hi, Danielle. It's Ray in Plainfield.
0: Yeah, I, I see that. How are you?
13: Oh, okay, yeah. Make sure I, I didn't hear you say my name. Oh, sorry. Uh, I just wanted to say I'm, I'm glad we got Der- uh, Garrett Cole and everything. Yep. I just hope he doesn't pull, a, um, you know, like a Chris Sale on us and just... Lose all of his skills for whatever reason, um, you know when we need him the most. Um,
6: I know, you know, but we
13: should have been we should have been able to uh, beat him just like Washington did. I don't know what <clears throat> what happened to the offense. I mean, they were top half uh, offense with runners in scoring position in major leagues like all season, and then in the playoffs that just disappeared. So this it's unexplicable. I think I don't know if it's Boone. I don't know if it's uh, the batting coach. I don't know if it's just the psyche of, the, of these young players. Mm-hmm. Maybe they get it right this time. I just also wanted to say, Danielle. I know you say that it was kind of a joke that guys are getting autographed, you know, jerseys from Lamar, but you know, he's doing like unprecedented things, and I think that it's kind of a novelty to even a lot of the players, and a lot of the players are as much fans as we are. So,
0: yeah, I'm, and I'm not coming down hard on Lamar. I'm just saying that you know, then when when a kid asks. Whichever player for an autograph, then they better give it to them and and why aren't they made more available these players t- in order to to have fan engagement like that if if you want to be a fan on the field, you better be a good uh athlete to a fan in the stands that's what I'm saying that's why I have a problem with it a lot of so, uh, not a lot some of these guys are just uninterested they're just they do autograph signs just to collect a the paycheck they don't interact with the fans and that's the problem I have with that so if you want to be a fan on the field, then you have to be a fan for the fans in the stands in, 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 the same, in the same regard. Patrick in Bloomfield, you're on the fan.
7: Hi, Danielle. I, I just got this question. I, I'm sad to see football season ending, and uh, I'm just not
0: interested you are? in are you, a, are you a Jets or a Giants fan? And you're no, sad no, I'm a
7: Rams fan. Rams. I'm a Rams fan. All right. I mean, I love the Rams, but I just don't see the interest in baseball anymore. I feel like it's like you buy your way to a World Series. And you can't do that in football. That's what makes it so exciting.
0: I mean, there is parity in football because of the salary cap. In baseball, there is no salary cap. I understand that part of it. But the the buying, I don't don't know about that.
7: You don't feel like the teams that spend the most are the ones that are right there?
0: No, because you had the the, the Tampa Bay Rays with one of the least payrolls in the entire league make a run in the playoffs and, and beat the Astros a couple times.
7: That's true. That They're the only team in the past few years that have done that, right?
0: Uh, I'd have to go back I mean, I I'd just have to say, say because
7: basketball seems to be the same way. It's like following the same league. All the known free agents are going to their, their teams that they like, and the rest of the teams are left out to, I don't know, football is a lot more like it's anybody's game.
0: Well, I think that's due in large part to to the salary cap. I really do think that. Man.
7: You know, I I would, you know, I can't, I can't, I'm a Yankee fan and I can't name the Yankees like I could when I was a kid with Ron Guidry and, and all those guys. You can't? I mean, I just, I can't do it except for Aaron Judge. Oh Everybody's talking God. about this new picture you just signed. I don't know anything about this guy.
0: Have you been listening?
7: Yeah. <laughs> I mean. You
0: didn't learn anything? I just. Oh, I I, failed, I don't know. Patrick, like I said, I I, my
7: interest is not there.
0: Oh, I failed at educating you on Karen Cole Patrick. <laughs> I, I, I'll try again on this weekend. I will try again. I hope you'll tune back All in. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for Thanks the call, for Patrick. The call. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you know, baseball it, it, it's it's uh, an acquired taste, I'd say. I mean, I enjoy it. It's a game within a game. You have a game going on between the pitcher and the catcher and the batter, and then you have a game going on, obviously, in the field and on batted balls and. Uh, it's just so intricate. I, I I it's like a chess match. I, I equate football to like checkers and I equate baseball to chess. Because you always have to think one, two, three moves ahead. And football you do too as well. But I'm just saying that I I, I don't know. I just think I in my mind, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but I equate baseball to chess and, and football to checkers. And uh I I I think <laughs> The week 15 action, I, the Giants are three point favorites to the Dolphins this week. I actually, I'll say it again. I, I do think the Giants get it done. I, I somehow, I said this last week, somehow, some way, and they almost did it. But I think the Giants are going to win. I, I think it's going to be a non defensive competition at all. I think it's uh, Giants 31, Dolphins 14. Giants are the, those three point favorites. And, you know, as you know, the Jets got blown out on Thursday night. They had the Jets players lining up for autographs from, from Lamar Jackson which I mean I would too. I mean he's an MVP candidate for sure. But I it I it's it's that was a little out of hand to watch. I think that was a little much to be lining up for for freshly laundered jerseys from from the Baltimore Ravens uh facility there. I, I just that's it, for me it's too much. 60% of you guys on my Twitter say it's no big deal. For me I don't like it. Call me old school. I don't know. <laughs> um I think uh, I'm just going through some tweets here. End Lobster is telling me, this, so what if the Jets players are receiving autographed jersey from Lamar Jackson? It's done after every game. Stop it. You stop it. Thanks to all the callers. Could not have done it without you. Richard Neer is up next. It's been a fun four hours. Love coming here. Thanks to John Schmelk, WFAN's Knicks blogger and host of WFAN's Bankshot podcast. Closing math, some Garrett Cole money. I've been here four hours. for my shift tonight, I would have made sixteen thousand four hundred thirty-seven sixty. Enjoy NFL Week 15 action. You got me, for the first time, back-to-back back this weekend, Friday night into Saturday, and again Saturday into Sunday. See you guys then. Hit my socials in the meantime, at CoachMCCARTAN, and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Keep the conversation going there. I will see you both nights next weekend. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan.